to be honest with you, the entire planet is is gets spoiled for us because like having the kids, our TV watching time is so tiny. Like we've only just watched Game of Thrones. Oh wow. We binged watch the entire thing over the summer, which I have to say is a way to watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> like... Did that not make you want to kill yourself? Because <laughs> I found that show relentlessly grey and I just couldn't deal with it at all. I watched like two episodes and I was like, nah, mate. I think, to be honest with you, Joan, it, it, I mean, it is a stark contrast to Peppa Pig. <laughs> it is, you know, it's a big jump. Yeah, it is a bit. There's a lot, there's a lot less murdering mm-hmm. in Peppa Pig, you know, so I think it was just like this sudden something like, there's a show and we can we can we can get in on this and if we watch it now if we binge watch it now we'll have caught up when the new series comes on and i think it's sort of it's one of those things you can't really avoid it sort of on social media so you know things are coming so it's like had the biggest like three or five year long trailer to me ever so we we did really enjoy it i think you're constantly going there's that thing coming up that i've heard about on the internet and sort of know is going to happen Mm. so that was sort of our approach to Game of Thrones, really. So it'll be whether it'll be really different now when when the new season starts, because you won't be able to sort of binge watch it in a day and a half the entire thing. There's also the fact that the spoilers might be a lot more annoying when they're coming, like the day before you're due to watch it. Because I used to, um, before I gave up on watching The Walking Dead, I used to find the spoilers for that absolutely infuriating because that show airs in the UK literally 24 hours after it does in America. And I'm like, you can't hold on to it for 24 fucking hours. Come on, guys. I know. Jeez. Yeah, I don't blame anyone for spoiling something that was on TV like three years ago, you know, that I haven't yeah. got around to watching it by now. It's That's my own problem. But yeah, you sort of think, really? You couldn't just keep a lid on that for 24 hours? I had to stop following Norman Reedus on Instagram because he put up a picture pertaining to a very big character death the instant it aired in, in America. It was like, it finished, he put that picture up. I was like, oh, you monumental dickbag. I got very cross. Reedus. No one can control Reedus. That's a troll. Well, I don't follow him anymore, so I don't know what he's up to. <laughs> it's it's become weird, that show, though, because it used to be that the thing that was great about it was nobody's safe. And now it feels like actually the big stars are safe. Unless one of them gets offered like a big movie deal or something that's yeah. going to drag them away. So yeah, and they actually go, no, I'm, I'm leaving. Right. Well, then we're going to kill you in the most horrific way yeah. possible. We are definitely going to be from the inside out type eating you. <laughs> yeah. oh. You've eaten over the course of nine episodes, like inch by inch, by a really slow one. Yeah, it's uh, that show really bothers me because it's like, and the comic does now, to be honest, because it's got to a point where both of them are like. What threat can we come up with that's worse than the governor? And then, what threat can yeah. we come up with that's worse than Negan? Oh, let's just do Negan again because we can't think of anything else. <laughs> yeah, it is a bit strange. You do sort of think, well, would because it's, it's, I find the timeline a bit weird because obviously the seasons have been running for a long time, but in their timeline, it's not it's not as long, is it? Because like they haven't had a bad winter or anything. It's kind of like that. Mm. You know, the weather hasn't changed. I think they've had like one actual turning of the seasons when they were on the farm because they were sort of doing farmy type stuff. You do sort of think, well, I mean, would society just like settle down a little bit? You know, is, or is everyone who's left a cannibal, a murderer, <laughs> insane? It's like, is this the only way to survive the podcast? To be honest with you, if those are the only people left, then, you know, you may as well eat me on day one, quite frankly. Yeah, I've said this before. I've said if the only people that are going to survive are arseholes, then you may as well just die. <laughs> yeah. what, a, what a grim way to... Did you watch... Um... Oh, what's called Revolution? The one that they, it was, I think it ran for about two series where all the electricity gets turned off and sort of, so everyone sort of goes back to like a Wild Westy type existence. No, I didn't. Because that did the same thing where it, it starts at the point where it has happened sort of a few years ago 
and so things have settled down. But when it starts out, there's an awful lot about you know farming and agriculture. And sort of, oh, supplies are running low. We'll go to the next town and trade. Okay. And you actually realise that actually living after the apocalypse is also quite dull. <laughs> yeah. So it's either, yeah, so I think we've narrowed it down to it's either dull or full of dick bags, in which mm-hmm. case, it, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll leave it. I've always said that if there was a zombie apocalypse, I would almost immediately be dead because, like, unless I was in my house with a lot of food when it happened. I'm definitely going to die outside because I can't even run for a bus without almost passing out. This is what my wife says to me because, I, you know, I'm almost entirely IT-based. I have no useful skills if the electricity goes off. So essentially, but, well, you know, what are you going to do about this? I'm just going to tweet angrily as I die. You know, that's all I can <laughs> yeah. And then oh, Twitter goes down. No. That's it. I'm like, no one saw that. <laughs> that was such a great tweet. <laughs> I imagine the worst part about a zombie apocalypse in like this day and age, because that's something they never touch on in The Walking Dead. Like none of them seem to have any actual like possessions, <laughs> even at the start. No. Like I can imagine like the amount of absolute nonsense shite that would be on Twitter and Facebook. Yeah. The memes. Oh god, the memes. <laughs> One does not simply get eaten. Oh god, it go forever. <laughs> it's also that weird thing that they have to do. Is like no one. In their universe, zombie films have never existed, mm. which is kind of weird. Because does that mean that they don't have things like Live and Let Die? Do they not have that Bond movie? Yeah. So, because when you think about it, there's, there's lots of zombie type stuff. Do they not have like Day of the Dead at all? Do they not even have that festival? What do they? Because no one at any point goes, "This is a bit like so and so." No, no, goes, "It's a zombie." It's, it's it's never said. So how much? If you like actually try and like pick zombies out of all sort of cultural stuff. They leave quite a bit, they leave a bit of a gap. They really do. I mean, it knackers up, you know, I'm, I'm living, I'm, I'm waiting for the day that they accidentally, you know, someone's got the complete Bond collection because that would be my nitpick and I go, hang on a minute, you can't possibly have Live and Let Die. What's happened there? I, don't, I think the last thing we're ever going to see in The Walking Dead is like a close-up of somebody's sad old dusty DVD shelf though. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't know how they're going to, I mean, I don't know, they, all series end eventually. So I don't know, will they find some sort of little utopia somewhere? Or is it going to go... Have you seen... Um, have you watched Fear the Walking Dead? The kind of spin-off one? Oh, I watched like an episode and I was like, did they find these actors like in a shopping mall in America and just go, you'll do? Yeah, they are monumentally so bad. bad. <laughs> it's worth hanging out, hanging on though, because at one point you end up with a weird thing where they're, they're kind of locking up anyone who they think might be infected. And they've got a guy in there who... Is it's not the same guy, but he's exactly like the old Spice guy. Like you know, the, I'm on a horse. That guy, and he's amazing. <laughs> he's like, I'll trade you these diamond cufflinks to let me out. Good job, you've made a great deal. And he's weirdly persuasive and charismatic. And I can't work out if he's supposed to be sort of overtly, overly persuasive and charismatic, and he's just kind of like he's like some kind of like superpower salesman, or whether he's just the only one in it who'd done any acting before. <laughs> and so he's acting, and the rest are just there. He's like, no, no, you have to. This is how you do it. You have to pretend to be somebody else. Now, what really is that? Is that how it works? He's fabulous. When he when he comes on, he's just well worth seeing. Just just for him, he's just fantastic when he comes into it. He does sound brilliant. I like the idea that that's the only acting he knows. <laughs> oh yeah, that's. I think that's like his thing. I think that's his one thing. <laughs> when you were describing him, just he sounded like one of those characters you come across in video games that are like, oh, mysteriously, I own that thing you need. Let's do a yeah. trade, and you're like, oh, cool, blimey, look at you with your big overcoat full of shit. I like that. I remember looking him up on Wikipedia, and he'd done loads, I think. His IMDb went, went on for days. Mm. Yeah, he'd done loads of stuff. But yeah, he's, his, character, his character is just great. 
because he's he's just kind of I, I do I always like the characters in in well films or anything. He was just the the unapologetic dick. Basically, he's like, yeah, I'm going to totally take advantage of this. Why wouldn't I take advantage? This is a great opportunity for me. I'm going to take advantage of this in a huge way. I would absolutely love to be that savvy, but I know for a fact that in any sort of apocalyptic event, you would either find me crying in the corner of a room or immediately dead on the street. <laughs> it would be like the first body you saw, you'd be like, oh no, Stacey. <laughs> be really depressing anyway hey should we actually record an episode proper sort of accidentally started talking about pop culture before the you used up all my thoughts now oh, used them all up i'm sorry can you can you at least talk about yourself for a little bit once i've done the intro? yeah i'm sorry. i can do that in my sleep i'm good at that cool don't, don't go to sleep though that would be quite uh quite rude let me do a dramatic pause for editing purposes folks welcome to episode 56 of stacy's pop culture parlor i am your intrepid host the uh, titular stacy <laughs> titular and joining me in the <laughs> joining me in the parlor this month uh, is a guy who i haven't spoken to for a billion years who has his finger in like all of the pop culture pies it's chris lynch hello chris Hi. I'm doing a wave. I always do a wave and I tell everyone that i'm doing a wave because i know that you can't actually see that i'm doing a wave so I, i'm doing one back Yay! <laughs> We're so cool. <clears throat> we know how technology works. Well, you actually do know how technology works. So they tell me, I know you can't see my way, but I, I feel better for doing it. Oh, good. I mean, I could make this a video call, but I don't want to, because uh, the angle of my laptop camera, not flattering. So. I'm, I'm, I'm also in my gym jams. Me too. And I've got a, a sexy Ninja Turtles blanket draped over my shoulders, because uh, as I mentioned to you earlier, I'm being stubborn about putting heating on yet. Yeah, you can't. You can't. You can't put it on. You can't. I don't think you're allowed to put the heating on until at least one tabloid newspaper has told you about heating bills going up for the elderly. That's my benchmark. Mm -hmm. I usually wait until we get the the news story of this is going to be the harshest winter we've ever had. Oh, yeah, since records began. <laughs> yeah. like, when did you start? When did you start recording this last winter? So, oh, okay. 
<laughs> what cracked me up is they did that last year in the metro. There was a big thing about how there was going to be like literal feet of snow. And I think we had maybe one snow flurry in Birmingham and it was just about enough for it to freeze overnight and become a sheet of treacherous ice. <laughs> and obviously it was gone in a day. <laughs> oh, you're trying to live in a set. There's a, there's, I don't know if this happens everywhere. It's, it's definitely a Welsh thing. The minute there's a flake of snow, everyone buys bread and milk. Instantly, people go out and buy bread and milk. It's a whole thing. We'll be in the office, snow will start to fall, and people will say, I need to get home, I haven't got bread and milk. The best thing about that is the fact that milk doesn't even really last that long, especially if you're buying like fresh stuff. So like, if yeah. you were snowed in for weeks, like the first thing that would probably die would be... The milk. first thing to go would be the milk. <laughs> it would be the first thing. It's like, yeah, in, yeah, definitely for us in Wales, if it snows, it's basically tea and toast. That's what we want to live on. We need milk and we need bread immediately. Yeah, because I don't know if you've ever tried that sad powdered milk you can get for like tea emergencies but it's yeah, gross no, it's so gross no it's it's horrendous it has no place it has no place in any kitchen it's a, and, and a instant tea as well like what are you doing being a thing get out just get out yeah instant tea is a bit is a bit weird i'm kind of accustomed to instant tea because at one point through means I, sh- I shall never reveal i got hold of a, a service card for max packs machines and so we could get any amount of drinks out of any max packs machine in any office anywhere and it was uh you you grew accustomed to the to the lovely taste of free powdered tea no, I don't think you could. My mother-in-law has instant tea, but whenever she knows that I'm going over for lunch or something, she goes out and buys a small thing of tea bags because I actually offended her once because she made me a cup of tea and I went, is your milk off? And she was like, no. Oh, did, you get, did you get special tea for Lady Hoity Toits to come round? Yeah, for old, you know, prissy pants here. <laughs> <laughs> here's, your, here's your tea, posh knickers. <laughs> the worst thing is, is that everybody who's ever listened to an episode of this before knows that I am the opposite of posh. <laughs> I'm like the commonest common that ever commoned. But um, I just can't just fuck you off with your line. instant tea. That's yeah. where you draw the line, is a powdered tea. <laughs> yeah, I can't have no. And I hate when we go to meetings at work and they're all like, oh, do you want this sad, weird, metallic sachet of shite? Like, no, I don't. You know, I don't want to run some hot water through that and drink the drizzly bits from... Ugh. Now, anyway, hey, Chris, how you doing? <laughs> I'm fine, thanks. How are you? <laughs> have you got an adequate cuppa on the go? I have, yes. I've got a brew. <laughs> oh, good. I just finished mine so that I wasn't going to go <laughs> throughout the whole episode because um, I don't drink tea like a classy person. Anyway, Chris, some people may not know of who you are. Do you want to tell them? Oh, good Lord. Where to begin? <laughs> Where to begin? Well, I just yeah, I've kind of got lots of little bits and lots of little bits and pieces going on at the moment. So if you if you did know of something I was doing at the moment, it'd be probably most likely to be Offworld, which is a film that we've only last month completed the Kickstarter on. Mm-hmm. We managed to raise ten thousand pounds to make a feature film, which we're going to make in the in the heart of deepest darkest Wales, which is is very exciting. So we're we're doing all the scripts and stuff for that at the moment. But prior to that, how I how I ended up doing that was prior to that. I wrote a pilot for sort of a, a web series or TV series called The Black Room, which we filmed last year. I, I get a bit hazy on dates sometimes because it, there's often a bit of a lag with these things. But yeah, so that's at the moment that's now available on Amazon. If you've got Amazon Prime and you get oh, the whole Amazon Prime video thing, you can go and watch that. And before that, I did a novel. And before that, I did a graphic novel and some comic books. And yeah, lots of different, lots of different stuff. So much stuff. Well, I watched, uh, I watched the pilot for the Black Room the other day. Oh, thanks. Is it, um, is it just the pilot that's a thing, or is it a whole thing? That was a terrible sentence. Yeah, I'm really no, sorry. I, I, I've pretty much deciphered it. I'm, yeah. <laughs> 
it had a bit of a it had a bit of a funny start. The Black Cream because it did like all like all the best ideas in the world. It did genuinely start in a pub. Mm-hmm. So I um, standard. Yeah, so I I met up with Terry, who I have to say, without whom the Black Room would not exist. He he did practically everything to uh, to sort of to sort of get that thing filmed and, and into existence. And we were talking about you know how do you create sort of you know, genre TV without a huge budget, given that you know we've now got things like Arrow and The Flash and what's that Legends of Tomorrow and the, you know, there's so many of the you know sort of great genre tv shows but they've clearly got absolutely enormous budgets and mm-hmm. sort of how could you ever do this as kind of like an independent person i sort of thought oh that sounds a bit like a challenge really and i am i suppose in many ways i'm a bit of the the marty mcfly of the script writing world that i quite like it and goes oh you could never make a, a tv show about superheroes that a massive budget and i go oh really can't you i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure i could do that somehow and so that literally that was sort of like the middle of the week and then so on the weekend i had a bit of spare time and so i sat down sort of bashed out this script for this idea called called the black room and sent it to terry and said oh yeah you know i was thinking about what you said and this is kind of an idea that i'd had and what do you think and he really really loved it he's like oh she's amazing you know what should we do and i was like well i don't know i haven't got a clue how to make a to make a pilot tv thing i don't know what to do with it but you know you know there you go that that's sort of the answer to the question i've done i've done that now there we go and i kind of didn't write it off but thought that'll just sort of lay there dormant now really and maybe it's an idea I'll, I'll come back to. And then Terry sort of popped up and said, no, no, we, we're, we're, we're going to film it. I'm going to film it and I'm going to get all this organised. And he did an amazing job then of roping in various people because Terry had done bits of acting and, and other stuff. And so he, he did have quite a few good contacts and he roped all these guys in and then said, right, we're going to film it on, on these dates. And the, the atrium, which is, is part of the Califini that specialises in film, are going to let us use all their equipment for free, and they're going to let us use the offices, and it's all going to be free. It's on this day. And I went, that's amazing. That's the same day I'm in Legoland. <laughs> and I did one to Legoland. Because I love Legoland in a real I've big never way. been to Legoland. It's amazing. Oh, I want to go. It's top-notch, but try and go. Like, not on the school holidays, obviously. Like any theme park, I guess. But yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> Legoland is the absolute bomb. You know, Lego Corporation, if you're listening, you know, sponsor me, for God's sakes, because my kids spend a huge amount of money on Lego. But, so I literally said, oh, I'm really sorry. You know, and he was like, oh, that's okay. We'll, we'll do it anyway. So I was like, okay, great. And so then I went to Legoland. I came back, and they'd filmed it. And then um, they it got edited by... Uh, by a guy called Kevin, who was brilliant, spent you know a huge amount of time getting it into into a sensible shape with with Chris, who'd been the director, and yeah, out popped the black room. So we started showing it at a couple of conventions. We showed it at the the, sort of the Cardiff Comic Con, the Cardiff Independent Comic Expo, that one, and people really really liked it and got really excited about it. So excited that I think it slightly scared us, and we weren't quite <laughs> sure what to do because we'd sort of said, oh well, if that goes well, we'll we'll make another one. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Well, maybe we should actually like try and get some some help, like some actual like professional help, or sort of show it around. So that's what we started to do, and it it's that is a very very slow process, and so it kind of found its way through no fault of its own into, into I guess what they sort of referred to as like development hell, mm-hmm. where we would you know sort of email production companies, and then people say, oh yeah, we really like it, and oh, do you want to come for a meeting? And then we'd sort of go for a meeting. Then they said, oh, no, we can't. And, oh, we'll be doing this. And it all sort of poddled along. And then I got the opportunity to, to actually submit it to Amazon through their through their video direct scheme, which we did. And then we all sort of waited with bated breath to see if it would get accepted for that, which it did. And that sort of gave it a new lease of life, really. 
and it's it's been it's been poddling along on there quite decently. So our sort of plan then was like, right, okay, you know, this has given it a bit more traction and a bit more activity. Now we should we should definitely make another one. And then we sort of got embroiled in making a film instead. <laughs> well done. <laughs> yeah. So we so we started doing that instead. So we, in terms of the black room, it's very much in in my head. I, I know exactly what happens and and sort of where it goes. And it, mm-hmm. it's it's a it's kind of a, a choice for us basically, really, with the black room if we can convert some of this interest that we have into somebody saying, well, actually, yes, we would really love to film six episodes, then we can make the story sort of fit around six episodes. Because there's there's so much you can do in that, you know, in that scenario with little different stories and different characters. But if, if you know, if it doesn't, then we've sort of got a plan to say, right, we'll film the, the other half. You know, we'll, we'll make another episode of about the same length and kind of explain away all the mysteries. Mm-hmm. Because that has been one of the things with when we were doing the Kickstarter, I got a lot of email from people saying, God, it's really fantastic you're doing this. And we're really excited because we love the Black Room. And are you actually going to finish the Black Room when you finish this? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. Just put your money in the Kickstarter and uh, I'll totally finish that other film too. But Yeah, because I was going to say, when I watched it the other day, for those of you who might not have seen it yet, I'm not going to like do a massive spoil. But it's, it's basically the Black Room is an organisation that sort of divvies out tasks to superheroes. That's the best way I can put it without spoiling too much. And uh, there's a bit of a clangor, isn't there, straight after the, <laughs> the credits? And I was like, oh, uh, where's the rest of this then? Because I want to know what's happening. And uh, you've left me hanging, mate. That's not very fair. Sorry. You bully. I know. Well, that's, it has been nice that people have sort of been interested enough to sort of actually be sort of be pushing and saying, well, what happens? You know, what is the actual answer? Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's lots of, it's a bit kind of, I guess, I guess sort of losty at the start. There's lots and lots of different mysteries and, and story threads that get that get spun out. But we do, we do genuinely know exactly how it finishes mm-hmm. um, and what's supposed to happen and, and why, you know, sort of, sort of how we get to that post credit scene. But yeah, it was it was our first sort of experience, I suppose, in in having having that product and and doing something with it, and sort of realizing sort of a lot of the you know I guess the pitfalls that come with it, and sort of what you what you should and shouldn't do. And yeah, I'm by I've become by no means an expert because I haven't actually managed to sort of find the right way the right way through it. But we're really happy with it, and we get fantastic feedback on it, and it's done very well on Amazon. It's had had a lot of watch. It's had a lot of views watches that's that's not a word they've a lot of views and uh some really excellent reviews on there and as i say that's that's been been very helpful on the on the film side as well having something that you can show to people and say this is the last thing that we did it's only 12 minutes long watch that okay now you understand you know sort of what we're about and what sort of thing that we you know hopefully you know that the the sort of quality of 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 the work that we've already done has has helped kind of nudge people into saying well okay yeah we would like to see what these guys can do in a sort of a 90 minute a 90 minute film which is what we're in the process of doing now so you're allowed to tell us much about what Offworld is about oh i can oh yay go on then there was i was just a warning the other day that somebody had someone had told somebody the ending at a convention it definitely wasn't me i was in legoland i wasn't i wasn't Are you always in Legoland? Are you there now? <laughs> I would, I would always be in Legoland if I could be. I have to say, I would always be. The last time I went was for my birthday, not the kids' birthday, for mine. Oh, uh, they were doing adorable. kind of like bag checks on the way in, and my little boy went, "It's my dad's birthday," and the security guard so I went, "Oh, is it really your birthday?" And I was a bit kind of like, "Yeah, yeah, it's my <laughs> birthday." He went, "Oh, don't worry, mate. Loads of loads of the dads come in for their birthday with their kids. They love it." Opens his drawer, pulls out this massive "It's my birthday" badge. Just put this on. And I'm like, "Yeah, very fair." I'm putting. He's like, "No, seriously, mate. Put it on." 
it's amazing what happens. And I think all these guys in Legoland are kind of instructed that they have to give you a happy birthday high five. It was like being Bruce Wayne. It was incredible. Everywhere I went, like getting on the roller coaster, birthday guy on the roller coaster, just give him a big cheer. People everywhere I went, people being made to applaud and like give me high fives. It was incredible. So yeah, if you're going to Legoland, also completely lie and say it's your birthday. They don't ask for any proof. They they take it as read that it is. Well, yeah, this is the thing. I know somebody who on um, restaurant websites is is listed in about ten different restaurant websites with uh, like a different month's birthday on every one so that he gets birthday coupons every month for different places that is genius yeah so it's like oh this month i'm gonna go and have lovely little zz's and then next month i've got my jamie's italian and then the following and i'm like why did why has nobody else ever thought of this as that's amazing. So you get a birthday meal every month. Although he is aging 12 times faster than the rest of us. So that is true. I mean, he's on death's door, so, you know. This, this is going to be it. <laughs> Trying to like, hold you while I'm, I'm actually 305. <laughs> anyway, off-world. Yeah, it's awful. So off-world <laughs> is it's science fiction again, mm-hmm. and it's all about a spaceship. As you do. Um, so the Earth is sort of facing a, com- a combination of kind of environmental and sort of economic collapse. It's it's basically the Earth is a busted flush, and so people are, are fleeing the Earth, and they've they found another planet to to go and trash. Basically, they found another planet that they they're going to try and colonize. There's a there's a ship leaving on a on a mission basically to get there. But unfortunately, as as these things go, this does all not go according to plan, and the ship crashes, and you end up with with this crew. Um, a very small crew trying to save all of the passengers who were who were cryogenically frozen and trying to get from the crash site to the little tiny settlement and try to uh, try to save everybody who's on who's on the ship basically. So it's it's a it's it's a sci-fi essentially um, sort of a little bit of a, sort of like a questy element I think to it. Um, I've, one of my first kind of kind of diktats co-writing it with Terry was this will not be Lord of the Rings with lots and lots of walking. This is not going to be endless shots of people trekking along. There's loads and loads of stuff that happens. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things that's been quite sort of fascinating about it was one of the Kickstarter, as we were going on, the Kickstarter was absolutely fantastic. And we, we sort of, you know, more than exceeded sort of what we had originally sort of said we would need. And then as as the money went up and up and up, we were like, well, this is fantastic. Now we can have some very technical things I don't understand, um, but like the recoloring of the film so that it looks more like a film, mm-hmm. uh, which is apparently a thing. thing. That's a thing <laughs> you can have done. Um, and then sort of redubbing of all the sound so the sound is better quality and, and all this sort of stuff. And uh, as we were getting towards the end, we we talked about a, a novelization, which tasted, well, you know, would I do the novelization? of the script and I said well yeah okay you know, once, once the script's all done that's something we can look at but I'm also working on a like a pre a prequel book mm-hmm. to go with the film where it's exploring all the little all the different characters and sort of how they end up on the crew in the first place and what their story is um, and it's really interesting because I'm trying to do every single one as a different genre effectively so I've pretty much finished two of them at the moment out of a crew of nine ten different ones i need to do and one is sort of like a gangster film and the other is i suppose more like a sort of a like a japanese body horror <laughs> almost so i'm, I'm really pushing the boat out on this book at the moment you don't like to make things easy for yourself do you <laughs> i do it's, it's the challenge of it i think I, I i do love the i love the challenge i find it i find i write better under pressure and i, I write better with that sort of motivation so I think if you ever see me at a convention, I'm I'm the idiot who often turns up with a typewriter and says, "Right, ask me to write something, and then I'll I'll do it." Sort of sort of there and then, and I, I find I actually get a lot of quite good stuff done that way. 
I, I don't know why, Brian. I, I write better under better under pressure. Mm-hmm. I hope Terry doesn't listen to this. You probably end up like round the house with a gun to my head. Script it. Script it. Oh God. Okay. <laughs> you did the um, Iron Writer Challenge, didn't you, earlier this year? Yes, Iron Writer. That sounds yeah. insane. How was? Explain that and tell me why. <laughs> well, it, it actually started. This started in, out in a comic shop. This goes back ages, actually. It goes back quite a long way. It was when I was doing Monkeys Machine Guns with Stuart, and I think we had the second one out, which had been published by a company in the States. So it was a bit of a... So we were quite excited about it. And we were doing a signing in Comic Guru in Cardiff, when it was mm-hmm. not the, not where it is now, in the old in its old old incarnation, in the older shop. The, the chap who runs at Christian, for his birthday, he sort of like has a lock-in in the shop. It's really brilliant. And there were lots of people there and um we had been there all day basically sort of doing doing various bits and various bits of pieces i try to remember the date of it now but i can't even remember the the date because it goes back super long but um sean phillips was there because he lives lives fairly locally and it was when marvel zombies was super popular i've just so it must have been about 2006 because that's when the hardcover marvel zombies came out he said having shamelessly just googled it (laughs) so sean was absolutely inundated with people who wanted zombies drawn for them mm-hmm. and so you know he's doing zombie spider-man after zombie spider-man and he's he's being really just just effortlessly cool about the whole thing in a way i could never be really he was going yeah no problem and he's doing one after another after another and Stuart's drawing stuff and um, mark who was the the other artist on on monkeys machine guns for that one was drawing stuff and mark's an amazing artist but he doesn't do a lot of comic book stuff so he kept having to be brought reference for like really well-known characters he was sort of like, oh, can you, can you sort of do me Iron Man? And you go, well, you have to tell me what he looks like. So we were sort of, <laughs> this was becoming quite sort of a, a running gag. And I just basically blithely said to this quite well, you know, slightly inebriated and rowdy crowd of, of comic book lovers, this is the best thing about being a writer. that You never get asked to do anything. No one ever says, can you just do me a quick paragraph? <laughs> this never happens. Mm-hmm. And some kid from the back kind of shouts out, yeah, you can do it anyway. And obviously like, Instantly, my Marty McFly gland burst. And it's just like, I was like, I totally can do that. And he's like, go on then. And I said, I'll tell, I'll tell you what. I said, tell me what you want a story about. I'll write it in the front cover of this comic. If I can do it, like now, then you have to buy the comic book. And he's like, yeah, okay, fine. I don't remember what he asked for. I think it was something involving a vacuum cleaner <laughs> and something else. And I ended up doing a story, a little, just, I mean, just the inside of a comic book cover. So like, you know, almost, you know, just only just a bit bigger than A5 about an office cleaner who specialised in cleaning up offices after satanic rituals. And so he'd gone in and he was hoovering and he had to get, yes, right, he had a finger stuck in his, in his vacuum cleaner. And this was the whole thing. So I, I did this and I was like, blimey, that's, that's actually pretty good. How did you manage to do that? And I was like, well, you know, you just, you know, someone says hoover and you think finger and off you go. Forgetting, my fatal error here was forgetting that comic book people tend to be collectors and sort of completists. So everyone who'd been queuing up to then get their Marvel to get their Marvel zombies illustrated by Sean then wanted a copy of Monkey's Machine with an original story in it. And I think I must have done about twenty odd Gosh. back to back. I have to say, at a, at a counter that wasn't the perfect height, because it did give me a bad back. Because <laughs> I remember that bad back quite distinctly. I can't remember what I wrote. I remember the bad back quite clearly, thinking this is really going to hurt tomorrow, sort of being leant over like this. But yeah, so that sort of started it, and. It became, like a, I suppose, a tiny bit, a very, very tiny sort of Cardiff comic book legend that I'd, I'd sort of done this thing. And then it was a little bit after that, 
Stuart and I were doing a Bristol convention and we sort of had two halves of a book and not a whole thing. So I said, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll, we'll do the two halves back to back and we'll leave a blank space in the middle and we'll do Monkey's Machine Guns live. So we'll, I'll write a little story and you do a little illustration. And he was like, yeah, this is fantastic. And we did it and it, it went down really well. I write a lot faster than people can draw, unfortunately. So Stuart did end up having to like catch up in the nights and the following day and he swore he would never, ever, ever do it again. As long as he lived. And I've never been able to persuade, persuade anybody else to do it either. But I've carried on doing it at, at conventions on and off. And then sort of doing a few conventions, I, I fell out of the habit of doing it. But a friend of mine, um, his daughter's been, been quite ill. And so they've been trying to raise some money to take her on a holiday, basically. So everyone in the office and around has been saying, well, what can we do, you know, sort of, sort of raise money? And so I said, oh, I'll tell you what I'll do. I've got, I've got a convention coming up in, in Cardiff. I'll bring back this you know i'll bring back this kind of live writing thing and then we came up with the idea of, of iron writer and it just sort of went on i went on from there really um i very quickly hunted out a, a typewriter because i thought well i didn't want to do it handwritten because that it, it's Crap. it's sort of just a bit i don't know i just thought it would be better on a typewriter for some reason it would be cleaner mm-hmm. and uh, although you make far fewer mistakes handwriting than you do typewriting so i then had to practice typewriting a lot because mm-hmm. i realized how much of an appalling typist i am because you can just delete stuff when you're on a computer and you you can't when you're when you're actually writing stuff. Um, but it went down really well. A lot of people really got behind it. And uh, you, you did one online, which was fab. And we had lots and lots of people do it. It was a bit odd because in the run up to it, we were sort of promoting it online. And Lee, my friend, was saying, oh, yeah, we, yeah, we haven't really had very many on the website. And I was like, oh, no, it's all going to be a bit flat. And then actually on the day, across the two days of the convention, we got lots and lots and lots of them in. So I was flat out for two days. I sat in a convention. The bulb above our table didn't work on the first day. So I sat mostly in the dark. <laughs> And typed for two days. I, I, it's the first convention I've been to where I didn't walk around, didn't talk to anybody. I just sat and like machined out all these stories. But it went really well. And we raised, I think the total's up to about 140 something pounds we managed to raise. Oh, brilliant. Which I, I didn't put a minimum on it, which was maybe a bit daft. But I was just saying, like, anything you put in the jar... I will do you a story. And so we had some people who would put in like a tenner and then kids who would put in like a quid. <laughs> but I did say any donation was fine. So Hey, a quid's better than nothing. Well, yeah, so I said, just, just put your money in. There were, there were quite a lot of people at the convention who said, well, look, I won't make you do it, but can I just put some money in? I was like, yeah, it's fine. So yeah, so we had a good, uh, we had a really good response to it, actually. We had a fantastic response. So yes, thus, thus the myth of the Iron Writer has continued to... Uh, <laughs> continued to to grow in a way that is obviously in no way self-aggrandizing about me (laughs) all about not at all all about the art Mm -hmm. you know totally because the the thing about doing stuff for charity as i have um duly noted recently is that it's really hard to choose what to do that's actually going to make people part with their money because i thought iron writer was a great idea because people like to get something physical back yeah. if that makes sense i think that was the thing with the typewriter in particular because it makes a lot of noise and people are like oh what's that and then <laughs> as people started to get them it, it yeah people sort of say oh well, look what i just got and oh that guy down there is, is doing this and yeah it, it is it is hard though i think to to find things to do that people kind of get the difficulty for me with charities and i know it sounds mean because it seems like i'm getting mad at people for raising money but every year i get cross at movember because 
hair just comes out of people's faces and expecting <laughs> to give them money. But I stayed up for 24 flipping hours talking and trying to entertain people and some people wouldn't even give me a pound and I was like, come on, guys, what are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> you want me you to say... give you money for not shaving your face? Yeah. Well, I will, I will say, on, on behalf of all, of all men, it's not quite so easy growing a decent moustache. Um, I don't do Movember because... <laughs> My my moustache, should I should I let it loose, comes out um, basically in the style of a nineteen sort of thirties spiv. It's very thin. <laughs> I look like that guy who always had bananas and nylons in Dad's army, which is not a great look. So actually, sort of when it comes to Movember, I'm I don't like it. I won't be like, why aren't you doing Movember? It's like because I'll look like a spiv. That's why I'm not doing Movember. But um, they do. What's the? What, there's the Dryathlon as well, which. Yeah. I'm also excluded from because I don't drink. So triathlon comes, you're like, oh, can I make it for a whole month? It's like, I don't know. I've made it like a decade. Well, I was going to say, that's another thing I find really odd because to me, a triathlon should only be a challenge if you're an alcoholic, in which case you should be doing it anyway. Like, I've 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 done months without drinking by just either not going out or being sensible when I have. Like, there's no, unless you are addicted to alcohol, it's not that hard, actually, to not drink. I guess it's a bit like Lent, I think. It's the idea that it's a luxury. So a lot of people will you know, have a glass of wine of an evening with, with dinner or whatever. And I think it's the idea of saying, well, I'm going to give up. I'm going to give up a luxury item. I, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't think any of these, I, I, I mean, you know, all credit to anybody who, who decides to actually go through the DTs in order to, to do a triathlon. <laughs> I don't think they go quite that far, probably. But yes, yeah, unfortunately, um, as, a, as an almost complete teetotaler, triathlon, I suppose I could do it because I'd like totally walk. I mean, you'd hate it, wouldn't you? <laughs> the thing is, most people know this, so I suspect people would go, dude, I'm really not going to give you any money for something you were going to do anyway. I'd have to have a, like a wet athlon. It's like, I will drink every day. <laughs> Just be consistently will, drunk. <laughs> yeah, I will Oliver Reed August. I will Oliver Reed this thing. And, you know, I think there are certainly some of my friends who, who I think would probably would pay good money. Yeah, I to, absolutely uh, would. <laughs> to, see, to, see, to see Boozy Chris in, in action. But, uh, oh dear no i actually really would pay for that i felt ever so sorry for a friend last year who was like doing i don't know like like three marathons in like a month or something ridiculous and he raised like 250 quid and then his mate at work shaved it waxed his legs in like an afternoon and got like over a thousand pounds but i think you know it's it's at the end of the day it's all about i I nearly said it's all about the charity then and that i probably would have had to go just slam my face in, a, in a, against a shelf or something for being just awful but i think it, it is mm. i guess at the end of the day it's, it's like anything really it's it's something that will capture people's imagination will ultimately raise more money and a lot of the time it's not necessarily about whether you've got the best cause for it or whether you've got the best the best idea or you're doing the hardest thing you know whether you're necessarily doing something that's really really difficult for you you know sort of sort of personally it's I, I suppose you know some some things just do capture people's imaginations like leg waxing I guess and other ones like you say so are oh, you doing a marathon oh okay yeah you know I'll, I'll sort of you know I'll sort of sponsor you and you know I don't know maybe maybe they want to see him go through the horrendous pain that I imagine having your legs waxed oh it's awful <laughs> it's so bad maybe they just wanted to see see somebody go through that absolutely sort of uh, absolutely ghastly pain of, yeah, of having right. their legs waxed but as I say you know we it was quite a personal one for me because obviously mm-hmm. it was it was a friend of mine that we were you know sort of raising the money 
to help um and we sort of sort of played about a bit with the idea of then of then sort of bringing it back and keeping it something that we will do more consistently and try and get a few other people sort of involved in and i think then as you say you come to the questions of well you know so which charity will i select and do we have a target or are we just trying to raise some money um but i still have the typewriter i have i have fresh ribbons available for the typewriter I tell you what, I don't know if I've missed my typewriter. I used to have one when I was a kid that my mum gave to me, and I loved the bloody thing. I, <laughs> you'd always like constantly be hearing me clickety clacking around the house, just writing nonsense. Yeah, it's amazing. I I get quite sort of I can get quite obsessive about things for short for short periods of time anyway. Um, and so yeah, typewriters. When I said, oh, you know, I had a typewriter as a kid, and so. Oh, you know, where, where's the family typewriter? And someone's like, oh, your sister sold that years ago in a car boot sale. I was like, oh damn you Stacey <laughs> so I thought okay fine you know I'll, I'll, I'll just get one and I went onto eBay and actually these things are they're not phenomenally expensive I was like why are these so much and then you realise that actually no one's made a typewriter since like the late the late 2000s I think it was like 2008 the last ones were manufactured in because they were, they were right up until then bought quite heavily by um, like the Russian military and that sort of thing because you can't you can't hack paper you see so there's Indeed. an awful lot there are an awful lot of these things still still being used in certain environments where you don't want to digitize things but you, you do want to keep a record um so i ended up i bought a really really lovely sort of it's a roughly probably like a mid-1940s typewriter called the good companion which is solid iron comes in a wooden box weighs an absolute ton got it realized that this was one of the ones where you can't get replacement ribbons that easily found a fantastic guy online called the typewriter man who threaded some new ribbons for me and sent me not only the ribbons but instructions on how to like rethread these ribbons and a copy of the, the original manual for my typewriter. Ah. It's amazing. As I was all geared up to do it, and I was like, it's a bit heavy, this though. Like the carriage is a bit heavy. It really is heavy. You know, people joked about, oh, you know, it was just sort of a workout. I, I felt like I'd bruised my knuckles by the end of the Sunday or like the sub knuckle, whatever that next joint down is. <laughs> the sub knuckle. The sub knuckle, whatever that is. <laughs> I felt I'd bruise these things from like hammering away. And then um, I'd gone out, gone out for like the day of my parents and we, we were at a car boot sale and dad went oh, there's a typewriter over there which i bought for five quid and later discovered it's worth about 150 quid if you put it oh, on Etsy. Wow. <laughs> it's a, a 1970s olivetti contessa who i refer to as the contest the bright orange contessa from the 70s like if you go on to Etsy, where the hipsters are with their, with their disposable <laughs> income anyway they uh yeah they go for like 140 odd quid wow. so dad was dad of course was was vexed vexed by this that i just swooped in he's like, i was gonna buy that it's like no you weren't you were never buying that <laughs> but uh yes the so it was it was the, the famous contessa that i used for iron writer and it is, it is a very nice one to use it's, it's, got, it's got lovely action as they say so yes so although i i have because they take up a lot of space i i have been forbidden from uh, getting a an antique typewriter fetish and buying more and more unless i can lay my hands on a on an underwood in good condition because underwoods are just gorgeous things to look at they're absolutely beautiful if you imagine a very old-fashioned retro typewriter you're probably imagining an underwood if you see a picture of a, of a typewriter then it's probably one of those because they just look fantastic i've never used one i don't know what they like to use but they look amazing i'm pretty sure that tom hanks has a collection of typewriters so you know if you want to um like befriend him and then get him to leave all his typewriters in his room i could totally be typewriter friends <laughs> It's kind of a really weird thing to collect, but also slightly awesome, I think. Yeah, I think they are. They are. They are lovely to look at, and they're so, they are very intricate. I mean, the 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 amount of engineering that goes into them. So, well, if you move this little pin forward, the colour of ink will change, and if you move this just to the right, you can sort of like do tables with it. 
you know you can tabulate on there with this key in it they are they are incredible pieces of, of engineering and the fact that you know some of these things are you know getting on now for you know maybe sort of 80 odd years old and they still work you know all they need is ribbon and they absolutely still work you know i think there aren't very many things being made today that will still work in 80 years time that was such an old man thing to say. <laughs> I wasn't oh, going to say anything. Word. I, may as well, I may as well start whittling a bit of wood. <laughs> I was just going to say, what was it like in your day, Chris? Oh, I am. I am <laughs> the grump, one of the grumpy old men of <laughs> comic dumb. Uh, kids don't get born. Uh, digital comics. Uh, you know, in my day, you had to staple them by hand. You'll never get stapling elbow uh, and all that sort of thing. To be fair, I don't think most grumpy old men go to the Goland as often as you do. So, you know, there's always that. No, 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 they don't. They wouldn't enjoy it. You, you, have, to, <laughs> you have to have lightness in your soul and a song in your heart for Legoland. I really want to go there. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> the only thing is, is I'm, um, I'm not a fan of the roller coaster, like, at all. So I've always wondered about things like Legoland and, like, Disneyland and stuff. Am I going to be bored there after about 10 minutes after I've gone, oh, look, Mickey? Yeah, it's not very roller coastery. There are only oh, there's two roller coasters. There's, mm-hmm. there's, there's the big dragon and there's the little dragon. But, yeah, there's, it's not terribly roller coastery, thankfully, because I'm, I'm useless with heights. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm the worst tall person in the world because I, I, I can't even st- – I really struggle even stood on a chair to do a light bulb. I'm like, steady, steady now. You know, I'm, I'm up there sort of, you know, like gently, bently, sort of reaching for a bulb. I am the world's worst tall person. So, Aww. yeah, no, nothing high is any good for me at all. Oh, that's reassuring because I hate the idea of spending like a lot of money and then walking in and being like, yes, I'll hold your bags while you all have fun. Big <laughs> <bad> person. <laughs> anyway, back to you. So with Offworld and the Black Room, are you, do you find that you are more comfortable doing sci-fi stuff or is that just what you're into at the moment? Um, I think I think actually, if you look at everything really that I've that I've written has had, has had either a, a sci-fi element or or sort of horror is the only is the other other sort of ones. Um, and probably with the exception of the Magpie, which is which is pretty much straight out sort of sort of horror and, and magic all the way through. Most of the other stuff really has got a, a, a sort of a science fiction side to it. So I'm quite I am sort of endlessly fascinated by science i guess as a, as a big old nerd but also sort of where science is going and, and where this is going to take us and so i'm just completely obsessed by by self-driving cars i can't get enough of, of reading about self-driving cars they terrify me <laughs> why why are you afraid of self-driving cars because okay there are two things that being a nerd has taught me is that a self-driving car could either be hacked by somebody to drive you off a cliff or it's going to become sentient and try to murder you well, yeah, okay. So those those options are there. Those <laughs> options are there. But I, yes, and you know, generally, hack, cars can be hacked now, and that's that's one of the incredible things about about cars at the moment. They've got far more computers in them, I think, than, than a lot of people actually kind of kind of realise necessarily. And there's there's quite a lot of stuff. When I really got into this and was really my most obsessive mode about self driving cars, I found loads of information about you know sort of like Land Rovers in the I think it was Land Rover anyway in the states. There was a there was a hack that you could do with the mobile phone. And you could unlock it and start it, and you could make the windscreen wipers go off and and all this different stuff. And you know a lot of cars now, you know, they're not the wheel isn't directly connected to to the wheels. You know the steering. You don't turn the steering wheel and turn some great big cranking shaft of thing down there. You know it's on it's a metal disc and some magnets and it's on wires and it's okay and then you know all the power goes to the wheel so you can change power steering around and and totally change you know sort of what goes on there so 
yes, obviously, the, there's the possibility of Christine happening, and there's the possibility <laughs> of cars going crazy and, and killing everybody. Um, but as somebody who has to travel quite a lot for work, I would have a self-driving car tomorrow if I could get in <laughs> and go, right, car, take me to Basingstoke. And instead of having to sit there, with the, the, the motorway driving is a combination of mind-numbing tedium interspersed with moments of absolute heart-shattering panic as some idiot does something that is so ridiculous you have to assume that he is actually a real-life clown. I was in a car on the motorway with a friend the once and now I refuse to get in a car with said friend because he thought it'd be a great idea whilst doing about... He was speeding anyway... <laughs> And uh, he thought it would be a great idea to reply to a text message. I was like, this is how I'm going to die. I have confiscated a phone once near Clifton Suspension Bridge as, uh, in my view... The, the abyss that is Clifton Gorge came ever so slightly too close. I'm like, right, give me that. You're not having that anymore. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. But it's, it's a fascinating thing. There's, there is an absolutely brilliant um, sort, of, sort of research paper that I'm pretty sure came from. This is the thing. I get obsessed about things and then I, I lose detail. My brain like lets go of certain detail, I think, to make space for the next obsession. But it's, it's one of the last... The prediction is that self-driving cars are one of the last big kind of economic revolutions, like the Industrial Revolution and then kind of like the IT revolution. It's, it's the next big one and, and potentially the last one to, to come is this idea of self-driving cars because it changes such a vast amount. You know, at the moment, everyone who drives has to, should have, has to have insurance. But if you don't drive the car, why would you have insurance for it? Would you still be liable for it? So would each individual person still have insurance or would car insurance as we know it today completely cease to exist? And you have instead just the manufacturers taking out these absolutely enormous sort of corporate manslaughter liability type policies to say, well, okay, if our car crashes, if a Ford crashes into a Toyota, that will be between Ford and Toyota. It won't be between the individual drivers of those cars because, you know, they were in the back playing boggle with the kids or something. <laughs> they literally weren't, you know, they literally had no influence on the vehicle at that time. And so all these, you know, all of us now who are, who are paying car insurance, do we suddenly just have that cash back, which can be quite a lot of money mm-hmm. for a lot of people, particularly, you know, when you're, when you're younger, as, as, you know, as a grumpy old man, I can remember being young and how much car insurance was back then. <laughs> And so suddenly you get this this flood of you know disposable income back into you know sort of back into circulation. People no longer have to pay car insurance, or does that money get sucked up into you know you you do actually have to have insurance. You know, it's part of buying the car. They say, oh well, you have to contribute to the overall sort of sort of insurance of it. But it's also things like you know driving on the mo- you know driving on the motorway now. Everyone, I say everybody, not everybody, but the most people leave quite a sensible gap, and it's it's a couple of cars lengths. But with self-driving cars, you don't have to do this. You can have them like really cheek by jowl. They can drive, you know, in theory, incredibly close to each other because they can all communicate. And if one at the front needs to slow down, it can tell all the ones behind it that it's doing it. So all the things that we were, you know, stuff that's been the best recently about, you know, should we all drive on the hard shoulder? You know, because that's cheaper than having a fourth lane. I was like, well, no, because the hard shoulder is where you stop when you can't drive. You know, when you break down, that's where you go. So it's it's a ludicrous idea. But people are actually, you know, considering it and actually talking about doing this. The actual capacity of road networks is infinitely higher if if all cars are self-driving, which has huge economic effects and you know makes a makes a massive difference to to all sorts of industries. You know, even yeah, your basic stuff of like I say, you know, if I have to go somewhere for work. 
that I could do some work on the way there, as opposed to you know, as I say, staring out of the out of the windscreen, waiting for someone to to make an error that I will have to avoid. You know, is is a massive difference. So I'm I'm totally I get to, I'm totally obsessed by this idea of self driving cars, and so. It's that sort of thing, I guess, that permeates then into you know, writing something like Offworld, where we, you know, I'm, I'm definitely the science geek out of Terry and I. Terry's knowledge of science fiction is absolutely unbelievable. If Wikipedia gets deleted, Terry will be able to recreate the science fiction section single-handedly. The, 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 you know, the man, I don't know whether he was a pub quiz machine in a past life or something, but he's absolutely incredible. And you say, do you know that scene in that? And he'll just rattle off some film. I'm like... I'm vaguely aware of that film, and he'll give you chapter and verse. You know who made it, who was in it, what happens, everything. He's incredible. But I'm I'm definitely the bigger real science geek out of the two of us. So mm-hmm. doing Offworld, I'm I'm the one who's obsessing about saying, well, okay, how far apart are these planets? How are we going to get there? How long is that going to take? Oh, well, no, if you're going that fast, how are we working around time dilation? I'm the one who's sat there. <laughs> Doing the, doing the sort of the, the hard science. Like, and I'm, it's weird because I've never been a, a fan of what because of like hard science fiction. Mm-hmm. I've never really been a, been a big fan of hard SF. But I guess I know how nitpicky I am when I'm watching films. Mm-hmm. Not only of, of the science, but of the characters and how they react and why they do certain things. And Well, why would you do that? And, you know, why wouldn't you? Why would you not have enough parachutes in that plane? All those sorts of things that I get very nitpicky about. It's my job to sort of ensure these don't occur in the film at the moment. So I'm sort of going through it. I'm I'm really in, in fine tooth comb territory at the moment with the with the script, sort of saying, well, you know, why would this character do this, and you know, sort of why haven't they got the right equipment? And so that's the nice thing about doing the the pre flight book is that I'm I'm getting the opportunity to actually kind of build the world that the film is is set in. So there's a lot of stuff about sort of AI in there and uh, cloning. They're all ultimately science fiction stories. So in one, there's um. As part of the ecological collapse, London, most of London, south of the river, is flooded. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of reverted to a sort of like sort of craze era gangster world where the only people who live there are, are the real hardcore Londoners, are the only ones left who will live in. Basically, London is, is returning to the swamp on which it was built. So, yeah, there's lots of, uh, lots of stuff in that. And I suppose it's because the thing I enjoy a lot about writing is is the research and is finding things out and you know kind of learning about new stuff and then playing with it and, and writing about it i think it probably suits my my slightly obsessive way of kind of like getting very very interested in you know in like, you know exactly what would happen if the thames flood barrier fails and where will flood and what will happen and then within a few months completely forgetting all of that information you know it's completely deleted except for a few key facts that people can ask and go yeah i read a thing once in a book by a man that said something would happen involving water and i can sound brilliantly well read which i am not i have to say <laughs> i think that's a really good idea though of doing research for a uh for like pop culture stuff because i remember i was watching um i mean this isn't really it's not sci-fi at all but i was watching an episode of modern family and um it turns out that claire one of the characters claire has the same heart condition that i have except she has pretty much all the opposite actual symptoms of that condition Uh and i got so cross at that because i was like there was me assuming and i i don't know why i assume this of of a show that's not even a medical show, let alone, you know, a re- really particularly realistic show. But I just sort of assumed that if you were going to give somebody a condition in a show, they would have what it actually is. <laughs> yeah. To me, it's, it, it's kind of inexcusable, really, in, in, mm. in this day and age with the internet. You know, when I do this research, you know, I'm not, I'm not Michael Crichton. I'm not going out and interviewing all these professors. I'm on Wikipedia. I'm Googling this stuff like anybody else would. 
uh, you know, so to me, yeah, it's a bit, it's inexcusable, really, I think, not to... It's lazy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, not to do that basic level of research. And I can see why in the process that we've got at the moment, you know, <laughs> there's the there's that impetus sort of get the idea down on paper and get the idea written and, and get the story down and this is what's going to happen and then come back and you know go back to and go well do that well sort of why you know why why this planet why not mars why not do this why not do that you know why not why not uh you know build cities under the sea you know it's uh it's either mcfly or busted isn't it one of the two who went to the year 3000 uh, yeah i think it was busted probably them sounds like their mo <laughs> but yeah, so they, you know, why not? Why don't we live under the sea if this has happened? And, you know, it's sort of all this, all this sort of different, these sort of different ideas that you have to, I, I think now, I think it's the worst thing you can do is, is, is assume that the viewer or the reader or whoever is, is, is an idiot, I think. And, and, you know, and that they won't see your error and they won't see your, your mistake or your plot hole or your thing you didn't think about. I think it, it's, and it is kind of lazy and a, and a bit of a disservice, I guess, you know, it's, you know, I'm not sitting on a pot of riches from all the all the things I've I've ever written. The most important thing to me genuinely is that people do do read it and enjoy it. And after a, a huge suitcase full of cash from Netflix or Amazon, which you know I'm, I'm still waiting on that. Apart from that, the most valuable thing genuinely is when someone says like, "I really enjoyed the Black Room. What's happening next? You know, when are you making more of that?" Or you know, you, you get an email or a tweet from somebody saying, "I really really enjoyed." that you know that story or it really made me think or my particular favorite so say that made me cry i do quite a lot of sad stories i i quite like i like it when they make people cry oh i tell you what point me towards those because i'm always bloody crying so you're bound to get a cry out of me oh there we go <laughs> right yeah get a cry fantastic but yeah i think you know people go oh that's really yeah that's really good and that's i suppose is why i like doing things like iron right because i get to watch them read the story there and then mm-hmm. you, know, you get to actually en- engage with them in a way that you kind of don't when you put a story up on your blog or you you know you, you you know it's in a magazine or a journal or something like that it's i always think it's a really big effort on the part of the person who does bother to tweet or bother to email because i know how much stuff i read and think that was fantastic and i never kind of think to go i'm gonna track that guy down on the internet and tell him how much i enjoyed that mm. i never do you know and i think there's a lot of people like that who don't you know who, who don't do that and i'm not criticizing that saying that it's, it's bad or it's wrong i think it's completely normal so I do, I think, I suppose, appreciate it all the more when, when people do say, oh, you know, yeah, we really enjoyed that or we really liked that or, you know, when you're making more, we actually want more of that stuff. I think that's that's probably the thing as as any kind of creator, really, whether you're whatever you're making or, or creating for people. I think that's probably the, the thing you, you want the most is to know that people actually like your stuff enough that they actually want more of it having digested the amount that you've already kind of kind of forced into them really fair enough hey i've got one more question for you before we start talking about things we've seen and read and done when will i get my own writer story you you can have it in a variety of formats actually huzzah huzzah i will i will post you out the actual proper typewritten one because mm-hmm. everyone, everyone gets their own typewritten one but we have been playing around with the idea of actually setting up a new a new iron writer website so I, I told you the idea of doing it all on my own, but I, I think even my ridiculous capacity for sort of martyrdom in the field of writing <laughs> might be stretched by trying to get a brand new story out every single day. So I'm, I'm hoping to corral a few uh, a few writing buddies. So if anyone's actually interested in doing that, there's absolutely no pay. There's no there's no benefit of any kind. Um, I know how you, know, you can get pilloried on the internet these days for saying things like you know write this for me for free, or even you'll get exposure, which is is the <laughs> is the equivalent, apparently, of breaking into a writer's house and punching him in the face these days. You know, don't say, do it for the, you know, do it for the exposure. 
because they all turn on you instantly and you become a, an internet pariah for even suggesting that it might actually be quite good for you to write something that people will read and say is good. Is there another way we could phrase it without using the word exposure? Freezing to death. Um, <laughs> that's that's part of exposure. I just think because it's if we the the site that we're looking to, to set up will entirely be for charity, so they, it will all be about putting just you know good quality stories on there that people will enjoy and if they enjoy them enough they will hopefully donate to to the charity so yes if anyone's had listened to the podcast and thinks okay i can just about probably tolerate working with that guy then that amazing to hear from them because i don't think i can quite swing this one on my todd quite frankly yeah that sounds like a bit of a feat <laughs> yeah yeah, bit of a bit of a big effort that one. Just a tad. Well, um, because I'm kind and 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 lovely and a generous host, um, <clears throat> and not at all, you know, uh, modest. Would you like to talk about some of the things you've read, seen, heard lately? Yes. Yeah. Well, I, go on then. I, sh- I should remind you that I'm I'm often quite far way behind on things <laughs> because <laughs> having. Uh, I've got two lovely, lovely twin boys, but uh, you don't get when you have. I think when you have any children, certainly you have twins. Your your capacity for watching TV and reading comics and reading books is is greatly diminished. Yeah, yeah, I a imagine good of years. So uh, as I said, I've only just discovered this this Game of Thrones thing. I've just finished that, <laughs> or just got myself up to date. But probably more contemporary. Something I am reading at the moment that is I'm I know is current because I. I I had to wait for the next trade to come out. Is is Doctor Strange? Ah, okay. Doctor Strange comic, The Last Days of Magic, which is Jason Aaron, I think. Mm-hmm. Writes that at the moment is absolutely fantastic. It's really, really good. Particularly because what I like, if if, if I'm I'm going to read anything that sort of has has magic in it. I love magic that's got a structure, that's got a system to it. Mm-hmm. I kind of really buy, I, I guess, that sort of Arthur C. Clarke idea of. If you have a technology that's sufficiently advanced compared to the current technology, it will appear as if it's magic. And that's kind of what they've done. They, they haven't completely laid out this is the system for magic and how it works. But magic comes with, with a price and with a cost and there's a balance to it and a way that it works. And yeah, they've actually managed to sort of create a, a world where Doctor Strange is actually, he's really cool in it. He's really, really cool. I've always liked Doctor Strange, but he's always been, I, I guess, in my head, kind of a bit. A, a bit geeky, a bit nerdy with his, you know, his flames of Faltine and his, his crimson lands of Citarac and all the rest. <laughs> and his hoary hosts. He's awesome in this. He's kind of a beatnik, womanising guy. He's, he's just fantastic. It's just really, really good. And the art's fantastic. I never know who draws inks and colours things because I'm, I'm far more interested in the story mm-hmm. than I am, you know, to a extent in the art. But I do appreciate it. And it's, yeah, it's really, really good. It, so it's the second trade has not been out that long because I, I tend to get all my stuff digitally now. Mm-hmm. So I've just finished the second trade of that. If you're not there, it's really, really good and it's funny and it's exciting at the same time. So that is that's my current, that's my hot tip for comics is Doctor Strange. I think if I'm thinking of the right run, because I know Marvel did a whole, let's just do number ones again for some things for some reason recently. Uh, if I'm thinking of the right story, I may have also read the first trade. Is it? the one where all the magic starts disappearing that's the fella okay good yeah i read this um i went to when did i read the first hmm i went to a comic con and i forget which one uh and i left it really really early because i thought i don't want to miss my train home i get travel anxiety and it's rough (laughs) um ended up getting to the train station nearly three hours early so (laughs) 
So you didn't miss it? <laughs> no. Um, handily, I sat in a coffee shop and read comics for like three straight hours. There is nothing wrong with that. Well, yeah. I, well, I thought, you know, I've, I've done everything I want to do at the Comic Con anyway, so I may as well just go somewhere and read comics. And I thought it was really good because I'll be honest, I've never read... Whilst I've never read any Doctor Strange stuff before, the only Doctor Strange comic I've read prior to this that's like actually heavily involved Doctor Strange was a very, very old... It was either a Marvel team-up or a Marvel something else that's like team-up but not necessarily enough. I forgot what it's called. Shit. <laughs> Where he does a whole thing with a harmonica... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> there's like a oh, I like, know it. Yeah. like a destiny harmonica that, okay. uh, that causes all sorts of scenes with the thing from fantastic four i reviewed it on a recent episode of fantastic cast i don't i genuinely don't really know what happened in it <laughs> it was a weird book so my yeah my prior experience of doctor strange has pretty much just been like very brightly colored weirdness and so it's yeah it's i really enjoyed this because i I don't know how I feel about the movie because I don't know enough about Doctor Strange. But I sort of had this image in my head of him, I think it's because of Benedict Cumberbatch, of him being quite bland. Oh, is that a mean thing to say about Benedict Cumberbatch? (laughs) (laughs) I love him and I love his beautiful face. But I, like, I feel like... Have you, ever actually, have you ever accidentally called him Bland Bits Cumberbatch? <laughs> no, I haven't, but I'm probably going to start. You probably will um, now. Yeah. The thing is, the weird thing about Benedict Cumberbatch for me is that I think he's great in all of the things I've seen him do stuff in, yeah. but he's he's not somebody I would choose to be like a leading man in a Marvel movie because Marvel movies have like that sort of sort of playful humour about them, even when they're doing like scary shit things. Mm. And so, I don't know, I've just never really seen that in him. Because, like, even in the bits in Sherlock where he's supposed to be a little bit funny, he still comes across as, like, world's most awkward. <laughs> yeah, but I think I think that probably work. I, I hope, because I, I say, you know, I'm, I'm quite excited about that one. I, I, I suppose that could, if if they do kind of use that kind of, you know, awkwardy kind of, kind of style that he can, that he can do, then it, I guess it could work. Because it's fundamentally quite an awkward character now for them to introduce because up until this point, if you look at the Marvel universe, it's it's a sci-fi superhero universe. Because you've got you've got Iron Man, who's kind of right. He's he's pure sci-fi. You've got Captain America. Yeah, that's pretty sci-fi. You know, tinker out with his with his jeans. They put him in a box and he comes out. Thor. They kind of basically made him an alien. Yeah. They said, oh yeah, yeah. Asgard. That's just an, that's just another world. It's it's not Asgard. Asgard. It's just it's this other world. So they kind of science science fictioned up Thor. In, in that way, I'm sure what 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 you know. You got this so Ant Man, yeah, that's all that's all sciencey sort of based. You get the first kind of hints of weirdness in Ant Man when he gets when he goes super small mm-hmm. and he goes into like the quantum universe. You get that first kind of hint of oh, it's a bit flipping weird down here. <laughs> this could go wrong, but I absolutely love. I mean, the trailer. I absolutely love the kind of rotating clockworky kind of spinning round It's a bit Inceptiony. It's a bit yeah, sort of it's very Inceptiony. <laughs> It's it's you know, it it thankfully hasn't got that kind of like bois noise that comes whenever <laughs> you get incepted. How anyone ever got incepted? It's like bois, get off! Don't you incept me? The thing is that happens in every movie now as well. I remember watching. I think it was the trailer for Batman versus Superman, and it was like bois. And I, like, oh, for I think so much times they are called incepted bois. I don't know if that's. <laughs> 
I'm sure that must be a name that they got after Inception. But yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's Inceptibois. Like, comes on. You're like, oh, really? It's a, yeah, that's. Yeah, Batman versus Superman. I'm I'm deeply I'm deeply divided on that film still. I, do you know? Me too. I feel like I want to watch it again, but I also really really don't. In that, yeah. Like there was a lot to enjoy about that movie, but the stuff that I didn't enjoy it was like like really really didn't enjoy it, and it was so long. I feel like if I watched it again, I'd be cross with myself for watching it for so Especially much watched, time. Watch the extended edition. Ugh. Which I didn't take a day off work to do for that long. <laughs> It's a weird movie. It is odd. It is, I kind of, in one sense, I, I sort of loved it. It was absolutely sort of unashamedly Zack Snyder. I really like Zack Snyder. And I mm-hmm. think that's, so I'm, the, the things that I think other people just don't like about Zack Snyder stuff, I really do like about Zack Snyder's stuff. And it's, I always find with him, it's everything he does is quite, it, it's unapologetically what it is. And that was unapologetically an opera is what it was. It, it had the structure of an opera. Mm-hmm. It had the music of an opera they went to the opera you know it, it was sort of unapologetically that's what it was and it even had like the weird kind of daft plot of, a, of, an, of an opera like oh our mums have the same name oh well that humanizes you totally crazy alien space freak yeah it's like i'm batman the most obsessive and stubborn person in the world but just one fact one little fact about you totally swayed mm-hmm. totally swayed me yeah <laughs> So that's really odd. But then I, I really liked, I even liked Jeremy Irons as Alfred. I liked that kind of. Oh, I liked so him I, a lot. A deeply sardonic, like I've had enough of this, <laughs> Alfred. Like really, really. What are you doing now, Bruce? What, what is it now? <laughs> I was I was all geared up to not like him. I thought I was going to go into this movie. I thought I was going to love uh, what's his chops as Lex Luthor. I've forgotten his name. Help no, me. No, Jesse Eisenberg. There you go. I thought I was going to love him, and I thought I was going to hate Jeremy Irons. And the exact opposite happened. That Lex Luthor was a straight up mess, and that Alfred was a tippity top. But he didn't take no shit from nobody. <laughs> He's like, I... hey, you're Batman, yeah, but like, who fucking sorts all your shit out? Me, so shut your mouth. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. I quiet you. I'm still I'm still dad in this house. I'm Alfred. I I liked I think the problem is Jesse Eisenberg, that whole portrayal, everything he did, I found really engaging, quite fascinating. But it, it just it wasn't Lex Luthor. That that was the problem. And I think they even tried to go and go, Oh, this is Alexander Luther. It's like what is he Lex Luthor's son? Is the original Lex Luthor dead? Is this what we're being told? And it was very weird. And I, I kind of liked that kind of st- super creepy kind of my mind is moving so much faster than my body i can't keep up that kind of thing and you could completely see why that lex luther like that would absolutely hate superman would absolutely hate him because he's he's clearly you know he's he's got this incredible mind that's sort of running at a, at a million miles an hour and he can't even physically keep up with himself to just vocalize what he wants to talk about and then this kind of super god just lands in front of him who can who can do everything you know there's there's nothing left you know luther can't ever reach that that level in a weird way i kind of thought it did capture like that that core idea of lex luther of if superman wasn't on the planet then lex luther would be superman basically he would be the one that the world turned to to get their problems solved and he would be this huge hero but because just by chance superman happens to end up on earth then lex luther you know he won't be second to anybody, and so he becomes a villain. But I, I think you have to you have to really reach to get to that interpretation of that mm-hmm. character, and not just think it's a hot, twitchy mess 
of jumping about. I was going to say the twitchy part I didn't mind so much, but I felt like I, f- I felt like there were a lot of of bits of his cut out that explained why he was doing, why how he was motivated to do what yeah, he was this, doing. This is the I haven't seen this extended cut, but I know people have said to me like, "Oh, it's it's fantastic because it fills in all the gaps and you 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 totally understand why Batman hates Superman, but also mm. why he." He flips so quickly, his opinions on him, and it explains everything that's going on with Lois Lane, and it completely explains Lex Luthor's character, and you sort of think, well, in one sense, I sort of I sort of want to watch it, and for that reason. In another way, I sort of think, well, will I actually maybe potentially enjoy it less, because it, it, might, it might contradict my, my sort of, um, I guess, Zack Snyder apologist kind <laughs> of <laughs> mythology that I've created mm. around it. You know, I, you know, quite frankly, it just it just wasn't as good as Captain America's Civil War, and so therefore that's the end of the discussion. Well, do you know, I wasn't that struck on that either. But um... what? <laughs> Spider Man's amazing, isn't it? No, Spider Man is amazing in it, but that film is too long, and there's a lot of specious logic in it, and it also sort of really hinged on the idea of Tony and Steve being really, really close mates. But they've all all they do is argue in the Avengers movies. They've never been friends. <laughs> yeah, it does also hinge on the idea there's a completely incongruous CCTV camera that films the Winter Soldier murdering Tony's parents. <laughs> yes, in but what appears to be like in a field or something. <laughs> yeah, in Super HD that he for some reason, despite being this kind of ultra amazing killing machine, doesn't think to take out that one camera. Yeah, a bit bizarre. They, they should have just had him just, just like flip the bird at the camera as well. It's so like, bang, that's for you, Tony. Because that would have made more sense if he'd deliberately done it. If he was trying to get caught or something like that, but yeah, there there are a lot of logical gaps in there. But I just I, I don't know. I I forgive it. I forgive those logical gaps for the spectacle of it, despite all my sort of protests that your your plot should be bulletproof and you should not have these huge logic gaps. Mm. I can be, I, I guess, like any in sort of inveterate man child, I can be quite easily swayed by. Look at Spider Man and he's punching Falcon. <laughs> Iron Man got big. No, Ant Man got big. Iron Man, <laughs> Man got big. I just, I mean, Paul Rudd mm. owns that movie in that little tiny bit as he oh. runs along, just chanting, like, I'm the boss, I'm the boss, I'm the boss. It's such a brilliant, that, just that one little bit of script. Whoever came up, you know, with just that one line of him, like, almost praying to himself, like, please be good. Please don't make a complete ass of myself when I do this. Mm. Like, do not rip myself in half. I adore him, like, so much. So- because I think it, it was just a great kind of like everyman moment, I guess. That if you were, if you were, you know, if you were going to be the, a superhero, if I was a superhero in there, I would have ended up being Ant Man, wouldn't I? I'd be like, oh, you're the shrinking guy, yeah, yeah, I'm the shrinking guy. And it's like, what am I going to do now? How am I going to deal with this? <laughs> Captain America's turned up. Oh my god, I'm so starstruck. And then he's just like, like, please don't screw this up. Please be awesome. And he's like, I am awesome. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I love that bit. It's so good. It is. I do need to watch it again because I did, I did enjoy it. It's just that there were bits bits and bobs that just didn't sit right with me. But anyway, um, I've talked about that at quite great length. I also think I'd been a bit spoiled by um, Deadpool being as amazing as it was. Yes. So. <laughs> Has Ryan Reynolds just become Deadpool? Though? He's on the radio so. a lot doing adverts, and I'm pretty sure he's even doing Deadpool voice. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he just is Deadpool now. Yeah, I'm not sure where Ryan Reynolds ends and Deadpool begins now, really. There was an issue of Deadpool, like, or in its like 90s run, where he becomes handsome, and I'm like, that's just what Ryan Reynolds is now, I think. <laughs> handsome Deadpool. <laughs> handsome Deadpool, that yeah. is Deadpool. Good. Yeah, so I'm, just, I'm just flicking through because I, I do nearly all my comics. I'd say nearly all, I do all my comics digitally now, mm-hmm. which is just 
a, a great way to catch up yeah catch up on stuff oh i did binge read did you now this is really going back now but when dr octopus was spider-man yes i did read that yeah i've just Good, finished reading it? yeah it, it kind of i guess i liked the i liked it at the start more liked it at the end it kind of went mm. a little bit sort of a bit on the wonk for me towards the end <laughs> but i did love the those sort of the first two or three trades of that is absolutely great i'm, I'm just rooting for dr octopus the entire time me too yeah, why didn't Peter Parker do this? Yeah. You're a late you're a lazy so-and-so, Peter Parker. Why haven't you just I love the bit like he's swinging along and there's a fire and Mary Jane's like, Oh no, my my nightclub's on fire. He's like, Yeah, I phoned the fire department because I'm totally chasing Vulture. <laughs> and Vulture's like, What are you doing? He's like, I'm chasing you. That that's a job for firemen. I'm not a fireman. Mm. And it's it's absolutely brilliant. You think, actually, if if you were a superhero, wouldn't that be a better way? you know, more, more effective, basically. Oh, gosh, yeah. Would you yeah. would you not sort of do it? Which I guess is kind of, like I say, you know, one of the sort of sort of the ideas I ended up... I guess I like it because it kind of it kind of reflects some ideas I played around with in the black room, the kind of mm. idea of how do you, you know, you, you don't just let these people run around all over the place doing whatever they fancy. Mm-hmm. You know, you would, you would end up with, with sort of structure. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed that, which I know it's very, it's almost retro now, really, kind of, kind of rattling. Were you aware of all the internet brouhaha about it? I was. I was. That was kind of what made me want to read it. <laughs> I mean, people are crazy, aren't they? Like, <laughs> like straight up crazy. Yeah, they, they, they are, to be honest with you. It, it's an interesting thing. It, it fascinates me, actually, particularly, I suppose, more with DC, I guess, than, than with Marvel, because all the DC, the way the DC characters are, re- are represented, I guess... I haven't read very much of kind of like the the reboot, the new fifty two or anything like that. But to me, the the DC characters have always had that so it's more of a mythic quality than the Marvel ones. The Marvel heroes to me are all sort of slightly more human, and the DC ones are more sort of sort of sort of inhuman, if you like. And if you kind of like you, you sort of take Justice League and they're kind of they're almost like a sort of like a pantheon of of sort of gods. And you've sort of got you know sort of sort of Superman is 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 the sun god, you know, mm-hmm. sort of character, and Batman is obviously he's he's the the underworld he's the he's the death type character and then you've got you know most just have kind of a, a warrior woman woman figure and so that's your your wonder woman and then pick your you know you pick your mythology and there's always a king of the sea you know we're all afraid of the sea because it's surrounding us and it's terrifying and it'll drown you soon as look at you so there's always a king of the sea you know so there's always a neptune or a poseidon or, or an aquaman you know there's always these things and so in a way those sort of characters i, I can kind of i suppose understand how because they are they are so sort of almost like core cultural characters now. There was a well, again one of these little facts that's lodged in my brain is that when George W. Bush was president, more people in the world would recognise the Superman logo than could recognise George W. Bush. Oh, wow. More people knew what the Superman logo was. Oh, that's Superman, and you know Superman is better known than than sort of the president of the United States. It sort of shows you how ingrained these characters are into culture, and so I guess it, the same is true of the Marvel ones. It's maybe because I was more of a DC, you know, a, a sort of a DC boy when I was sort of really getting into comics and, and growing up. I was more into DC than in, than into Marvel. So I, I can I can understand the to, to an extent this feeling that the characters belong not to DC or not to Marvel, and, and not certainly not to the person who's who's currently writing them, but to everyone you know, to the fan base and, and, and to all, all sort of the fans. And so I can understand that, 
but what I can't get behind is this ridiculous level of vitriol mm-hmm. that people get hit with. Oh yeah, I mean Dunslop's getting like death threats and stuff. Oh, it's, it's yeah. It's, oh, this it's and it's absolutely ludicrous. And because reality is, like if you this. don't like it, for goodness' sake, it's comics. A, they're just comics. But also, if you don't like it, just wait because it will get retconned anyway. Absolutely. It will just go back to normal. And I mean, I mean, even Dan Slot was saying that, going, you know, this isn't forever. For goodness' sakes. Mm-hmm. I remember doing a panel with um, a comic book panel with Paul Cornell and Rob Williams, and it was just after they. It was quite going again, going, going back a ways, but when Marvel has announced that um, Rob was going to be writing the Dakin, Dakin, the the son of Wolverine character, yeah. mm-hmm. and he said, you know, he, he said in the panel, he said, I, "I've had these emails from people saying I hate what you're going to do with this character," which he found really surprising because he had no idea what he was going to do with the character at that time. <laughs> oh dear! You know, he's like, "Well, yeah, how could you possibly know?" I think it was Paul who came out this this sort of thing that all comic book fiction today is is in essence fan fiction because the people who are writing comics now grew up reading comics. Mm-hmm. So you know, the people who write Spider Man now read Spider Man as, as kids, and so in a way, you know, these are you, know, you can almost argue that it's all it's all just people's ideas of all you know, it's all the what if stories, which is kind of what we've got left to do, I guess, with some of these characters. Mm-hmm. You know, what if this happened or what if that happened? And you know, Marvel go their way where they're they're not into big reboots and DC go their way where they reboot at the drop of a hat. You know, they reboot more than an old laptop. And they, you know, they just keep going and I'll oh, start again. I'll oh, start again, start again. Make the characters fresh. <laughs> it's like they they're not, you know, they're not going to be fresh because they're they're archetypes now. Mm-hmm. You know, there are so many you know, particularly Batman, there are so many characters that are essentially just Batman in a slightly different outfit. Yeah. You know, and I think everyone who, who read comics as a kid created their, their accidental Batman copy. Well, DC have got their own Batman copy, haven't they? Because I think it's David Wynn who refers to um, Midnighter as a romance Batman. That's the whole point of the authority, isn't it? They were supposed to be, when the authority were written, they they are copies. So Apollo and the Midnighter are supposed to be Superman and Batman. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the engineer is Iron Man and the Doctor. I love the authority. The first two runs of, of Mark Miller and Warren Ellis were in the authority. Absolutely amazing. They are stunning comics. But yeah, I suppose that's, that's the idea. He is. He is. He is just a he's an he's an alternative he's an alternative Batman basically. My favorite alternative Batman is Owlman. I, I love Owlman. I think Owlman's Me awesome. Me too. Have you seen the um the Dwayne McDuffie Crisis on Two Earths? No. There's been so many crises, and I know I've it's read the, some of the them. Anim, it's the animated one. It's no. James, James Woods is Owlman. It's, I think it's one of the last things that Dwayne McDuffie wrote. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely brilliant. And Owlman gives this amazing speech about his sort of nihilistic, nihilistic, nihilistic worldview. It's one of those words I've only ever seen written down. <laughs> He gives this absolutely brilliant speech about how they they expand all the DC multiverse. And so he basically says, well, look, if all possibilities are played out, there's no point doing anything. Nothing I do has any impact, has any importance, because the opposite is going to happen as well. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and so on this basis, Alman decides to destroy the entire multiverse. And it's so brilliantly written. And James Woods delivers it so well. You kind of think, yeah, Alman, yeah. <laughs> destroy that multiverse you do yeah and it, it it's it's really good i mean it's got a lot of the classic dc animated things there's there's lots of fights and you know there's choppy chop chop you know cutting between one fight and another but the the interplay between batman and owlman and owlman's like philosophy is brilliant it's really really well done and it, it always it always i find it really odd that actually the dc animated movies are so good in a lot of instances why they don't just get those same guys to do like the actual films or well, they don't just give them a cinematic release you know just yeah. say look it's, it's not like people are unaccustomed to to animated films 
now. It's weird. It is weird how good some of those some of those are. But yeah, if you haven't seen that, that is definitely worth sort of sort of picking up. It's one of those ones you'll you'll occasionally see in like the supermarket for two quid. I think I got it for like four quid in Asda or something. But it's it's absolutely brilliant. It's really, really good. Just just for that bit. But yeah, James Woods is our man. It's awesome. <laughs> absolutely awesome. James Woods, come on. I shall have to give that a whirl. I do yeah. love me some James Woods. But yeah, I do. I but I, yeah, I I just I can't get behind it. I I think you know in in this day and age with everything that's getting going on in the world, getting your ass in your hand because mm-hmm. some writer told a story about about a character and you didn't like that story. It's not even like there there aren't other stories. I mean, what bothers me the most is the impermanence of comic stories. Like, for a start, even if Doc Ock ended up being Spider Man forever. There's so much Spider-Man crap that came before. There's yeah. absolutely no reason why you couldn't still read a load of Spider-Man you've never read before, like, none whatsoever. But, like, I mean, there was a similar thing quite recently with that um, rebooted Captain America story, wasn't there, where at the end of issue one, yeah. he was a Hydra agent and everybody went... I mean, I'm sure... I read. Um, I remember reading a letter from this soldier that was like, you know, if you're just going to change his values, I may as well change mine and I may as well fucking kill whoever I want. And, and I was like... I can't believe we all know for a fact that give it two, three issues tops, he's going to be regular cap again. And it turned out within the second issue, <laughs> like it wasn't even a month later that it was like undone. I was just like, it boggles my mind that you would, that you, like, because I'm very passionate about, about comic, the, the things that I like, I get almost obsessed with, but never to a point that I would think, oh, somebody's done something I don't like with it. So I'm going to threaten to murder them. Yeah, I know. I mean, that, I guess that's the flip side of it. I mean, there's there's a there's a dark little part of me that would love to have a fan who was that obsessed with my stuff. <laughs> yeah, would I would you know? I mean, I don't really, I, you know, I don't want to get miseried up in like a Kathy Bates style or anything like that. But you, know, you kind of think you, you're doing something. I don't know. I think if it's your own creation, if it's your own characters, and people are that bought in and, and you know, they're that invested that they are, no one wants a death threat, do they? No one wants no. that. But you know, to be at the point where people are going, oh, you know, I, I really like this and I really like the other. And I think, I guess we sound like, you know, sort of George R. R. Martin's probably riding the crest of this now where everyone's like, who will he kill next? And, you know, everyone seems to be very sort of sort of bought in on the, on the book side anyway to sort of, you know, wait and see what he's going to do with the story, even though the, the TV show's like accelerated away from the books now, hasn't it? And sort of gone off on its own. Mm. But I guess, I think that's what I quite like about, although I do read a lot of mainstream superhero stuff, a lot of big two stuff. I guess where it's sort of independent comics do come into their own because you can get a self-contained story and that and that's it. And it doesn't have to, I guess, in a way sort of suffer, I suppose, the inevitable consequence of being something that runs and runs and runs and runs and runs forever. Mm-hmm. Because if we assume that Spider-Man will run and run and run and run and run and run forever, it is inevitable. It is, it is a certainty that at some point a story will occur that people don't like. You know, if I read, you know, there are there are certain Batman stories that I don't like, and I I love Batman stuff. You know, I I sit here surrounded by my by my Batman toys, and I you know I I love Batman stuff. But there are certain Batman stories I don't think are as good as others. There are certain you know there are some writers I prefer on Batman against ones that I I don't necessarily like. It doesn't spoil my enjoyment of it because I can I can pick and choose. But you know, it it is inevitable that that will that will occur. And so I suppose that's. That's the the advantage, I guess, of of miniseries and short runs. And I suppose some of the characters are more flexible 
to it than others, really. I think, you know, for a lot of people, particularly Spider-Man and Captain America, they're not as flexible, I guess, in terms of taking a, a major change as somebody like Doctor Strange or, or Superman, where they are more out of the the weirder camp, I guess, of, of stuff that you can you could potentially do. Them. I I, remember, I mean, I'm on the front of Superman Red and Superman Blue. People went absolutely bonkers over that stuff. Do you remember that when Superman flew through a giant space prism or something and he had electric powers for a bit? That no. Was oh, that was weird. That was really weird. It was even weirder seeing Grant Morrison trying to wrestle that character into scripts he'd clearly written for original Superman. It's like, oh, yeah, I've, I've got electric powers now. There was like a blue one who was like normal Superman. There was a red one. Who he and he was mean. <laughs> he was mean. He was mean, Superman. And it's like you know, yeah. It's it's weird. Go read something else. Go go and read a different. Like you say, there's plenty of Spider-Man there yeah. to, to go and read, and you know, there's plenty of other stuff. You know, I, I encourage anybody who's getting very upset with Spider-Man go and read something like The Invisibles and let it absolutely melt your face off, and then then come back to mainstream comics and go, all right, yeah, I'm totally fine with Doc Ock being inside Spider-Man for a little bit now. Well, the thing is as well, you can always just tune out for a bit, can't you? Like, I did it with the Brand New Day storyline in Spider-Man. Like, I was not interested in resetting Spider-Man and having him not be with Mary Jane. And, like, I just wasn't interested. So I just tuned out and tuned back in when I was interested again. Yeah, I I think that's (laughs) the thing. I mean, I know a lot of people, you know, not everyone's a fan of digital comics, but I I love it because I can, you know, I can go on to Comixology, I can go on to Amazon and I can dip my way, you know, right, right back, you know, really pretty far now in terms of an archive of stuff. And if I'm in the mood for some, you know, Spider-Man from the from the 90s, I can go get some, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't have to trolley down to the shop or, or go digging around for back issues or any of that, any of that old style nonsense. I can just, you know, find it, you know, and, and read it. And like you say, some of it's good and some of it's bad and some of it you like and some of it you don't. And some of it, you know, changes during the run. I mean, I, I read the... um. Is it the ultimate ultimate human? I think it is. It's it's in the ultimate universe, and it's it's Iron Man versus Hulk, if you like. Right. And the first like two or three issues that are, are are brilliantly sort of like loads of intrigue and stuff, and then the ending's a bit flat. But I I didn't threaten to kill Warren Ellis as a consequence of that. <laughs> I went, oh okay, that's not you know that's not what I was expecting. Uh yeah, still pretty good though. Yeah, I still enjoyed that. And being digital, I think it cost me all of like three quid probably to read that. So. I didn't feel too greatly aggrieved by it, but it is it is weird. It is weird. I wonder if people always felt this way, but they just like seethed quietly. And now we have the internet and, and Facebook and Twitter. It's like this kind of uh, all these kind of you know different little globules of 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 hate and resentment and, mm. and kind of seething rage about you know whether Spider Man should get an orange costume this month. Kind of collide online like some kind of horrible hate super collider. Mm-hmm. And that's why we end up with these, you know, this stuff sort of being, being huge news. Yeah. Comics, comics was better when we were all ashamed of reading comics. And <laughs> didn't talk to our friends about it. Comics was better then. I was reading an article the other day about this recent revelation that Wonder Woman might be either bi or pansexual. And a lot of the comments in response to it were like, oh, outrage, she was with Steve Trevor that once, so she must be straight, and all this palaver. And all I could think was... Because he's all man, Steve Trevor. <laughs> what? <laughs> once, you was this, once you've gone Trev, you never go back. Yeah, exactly. Like, but what what cracked me up was, like, pe- firstly, people's fundamental misunderstanding of what bi and pansexuality are, but also the idea that it's that relevant anyway in a Wonder Woman comic because they're never going to show her boning anyone. <laughs> They're yeah, literally no, never going to do that, so it's almost irrelevant. Like, let people who are boys or boy or pansexual have representation in someone amazing like Wonder Woman, because it's not going to affect your life. 
calm down. I just want to tell everyone to calm down sometimes. Just chill. Just have a cup of tea. Yeah, isn't Wonder Woman supposed to be... Is she still, like, very old and immortal anyway? Isn't she, doesn't she go super way back? Or is that... Because that, I mean... I that... don't know. She's been reckoned because there's now a new... Yeah. <laughs> a new new 52. <laughs> The new, new, yeah, the new new fifty two, fifty two squared. Yeah, I don't know what's happening anymore. I don't know what life is. <laughs> no, again, I mean, it's it's one of these things. Like fundamentally, unless the story is is specifically about the character sexuality, I don't think it really comes into it a, a huge amount. I mean, it's funny you talk about um, romance, Batman, the Midnighter. I read the first trade of that, which is which is pretty good. Steve Orlando. Oh, yeah, it's wonderful, isn't it? And that's really interesting. I love the way they represent. Midnighter's powers in that and how he ends up, you know, his, his initial breakup mm. with Apollo is because he knows it will happen and it's it's inevitable. And it's it's a really fascinating take on, on the character of how his his kind of fight response is literally always on and he can't not be fighting, he can't not be in conflict. And he has various romances through that and they're just romances. They're no, they're no different because they happen to be boy-boy romances. They, you know, they, they're kind of no different in that respect. It's more about how a normal person interacts with a super person, particularly a super person who is essentially always in, in like kill mode, is constantly in, in any situation sitting there trying to have a romantic meal, but his little weird computer brain is ticking away in the background the entire time, mm-hmm. working out how to kill every single person in the room just in case, you know, just in case that comes up. That's the interesting thing about that. Mm-hmm. And that could be a heterosexual relationship or a homosexual relationship. It makes no difference. I do kind of, I do think it's a bit sad sometimes where it gets retconned onto characters purely, I think, out of a sense of almost sort of sort of tokenism. Yeah. Sort of like, oh, yeah, we, oh, we, oh, we must have, you know, we, we must find room for, a, you know, sort of a, you know, a gay character or we must find room for, you know, uh, you know, this, this or that. Or, you know, we, we've got to do this sort of thing. And they, they shoehorn it onto a character. And I mm-hmm. sort of think, well, why didn't you just create a new character? It's interesting. In its own, you know, in their own right, basically. I was having quite a long conversation with Barry and Dave from Geek Syndicate. Um, oh yeah. I, w- I actually completely neglected to m- mention this on the last episode, but I went to ICE for the first time this year, which is the International Comic Expo in Birmingham. Yeah. In September, which happened to be the weekend of Geek Syndicate's tenth anniversary birthday time, as it were. So we, I spent the whole day in panels with those guys, which was really fun. But we had quite a long conversation about this because. We're talking about representation, like me from a sort of female point of view and Barry and Dave from a, a person of colour type point of view. And um, and we, we were both saying that the problem with comics at the moment is they don't let things happen in the story. They have to do like a blah, 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 trumpets and fanfare. Look what yeah. we're going to do. It's going to be a thing. So like whenever something happens, like, for example, Lady Thor... It didn't just happen in the story and people were like, oh, hooray, there's a lady who's got, like, Thor powers. It was, like, like literal months beforehand. Guess what? It's going to be a woman Thor. Guess what, women? We're going to represent you with a woman Thor. And the same thing happened with um with Sam Wilson becoming Captain America. It yeah. was like, Captain America's going to be black. And it was like, well, Sam Wilson doesn't need to become Captain America. He's fucking awesome as Falcon. Like, Well, the story really is Sam, Sam Wilson. Falcon is becoming Captain America. Yeah. You know that that's the story in there, but yeah, I think I don't know. Does that do you think that comes from a from a place of the the comic companies themselves being very very I guess very very sensitive to the fact that it is seen as as a bit of a boys' club and a male dominated industry and all the sort of stuff you get. I mean, it, it's kind of I understand it makes you very sad. I think, and, it, and I I do mean sad in the in a, in a genuine sense of sadness when you sort of see 
you know, a lot of conventions now have have anti-harassment policies. Mm. And they had these signs up saying, you know, so, you know, there's one that you see quite you know, cosplay is not consent. Yeah. And it's like, well, there's a whole lot of things that aren't consent. I mean, wh- why do we need a sign for that? You realize that actually people do need a sign. Mm. And that is the terrifying and the, and the sad thing yep. that people need that sign. It's like, you know, it's a, there's an anti-harassment policy. And it's like, is this policy not essentially saying don't be an ass? But we have to write these things down now. And that's that I find odd. And I don't know, do we have to write it down because we've reached a point with people at comic book conventions? And I guess in the world in general, it's not just comic book, but the world in general, that unless you're, unless they're given, you know, they're told what the anti harassment policy is, they don't know how to not harass people. You know, is, is that really sort of, sort of where we've gotten to? Or is it that conve- people who are running conventions are worried that they will be. I guess held accountable or, or seen as not, you know, not providing an adequately safe environment if if they don't create these things. And I and I don't know. I can I can see. I I guess on balance, I can I can see why the comic book companies do it from a marketing perspective to drum up interest in in something and say, look, this is going to happen in Thor. Kind of, you know, don't miss it. Make sure you you know make sure comic book shop owner you order extra Thor because this this controversial or exciting thing is going to happen. And I can see why they do it. I guess, like you say, you say, oh, look at this, you know, we're now representing, look, we've created Lady Thor, so there you go, girls. There's some, there's some representation for you, as opposed to taking an already, you know, taking just a good female character, or just creating a good yeah. female character, really, and just saying, look, here we go. I think that does that is something that really does, it does rankle me, that sort of when they mm-hmm. reinvent superheroes and go, oh, look, you know, we're going to have Lady Thor, we're going to have Black Captain America, and it's like, Falcon was good. Why didn't you just do a good Falcon story? Well, yeah, and on top of that, again, it's the impermanency. I know Lady Thor, like, it's, Thor's not yeah. going to be a woman forever. No. Ca- Captain America is already, ca- like, Steve Rogers again, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Sam Wilson's relegated back to Falcon, I guess. Like, yeah. it's, uh, yeah, it's 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 weird. I feel like I'm being whingy, so I'm going to talk about something that I did like. <laughs> okay. I um I done read a comic uh called Ever After, which is a post fables fable story. Okay. I've only read issue one because having read issue one, it's made me realise that I don't think I ever read the last issue of Fables, <laughs> <laughs> which is ludicrous because I bloody love fables and i was like scoffing it like no one's business when it came out so i don't know how i managed to miss the last one but yeah i've got quite a lot of fables trades and i'm not sure where i stopped mm. i know when i stopped because i used to always 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 buy like a fables trade or one or two fables trades when i went to a comic book convention so the point it would be at the point when the kids are born i sort of arrive to ramp back on the conventions for a bit and you know do do, do dadding and that kind of thing it's probably where the buying of fables stopped and i think i was just about at the bit where you kind of find out that geppetto is is a has been making the the wooden people and replacing people is that right is that what happens with the magic wood that's where i sort of got to and there's something with a farm yeah they find the farm outside mm-hmm. that's that's sort of as far as i got and for no other reason than just like life sort of sort of took over in a in a, in a monumental and poopy and screamy waking you up in the middle of the night type way <laughs> They're asleep now, just next door. It's the weirdest thing. Oh, be quiet! I know. <laughs> they're almost they're almost impossible to wake through normal activity. I, I sat here. What, what did I, do? I watched? Um, I watched like three or like three episodes of Daredevil back to back, which included the Punisher like murdering an entire prison. People <laughs> thought, oh, I didn't have my headphones on. I just put that on the speakers. That was normal. But try and like go past and brush your teeth. Nope, <laughs> they'll catch you every time. Like raptors. Brilliant. Like, Love kids. <laughs> 
but yeah so yeah but yeah so that's that was as far as i sort of got with mm-hmm. got with fables and did love it and did i say yeah didn't didn't stop through any amount of dislike just just went oh yeah just forgot that yeah. it was going on well i honestly don't know what happened with me because i was late to the party on fables anyway it was a good uh like four trades in when i suddenly decided to to have a butcher's at it but i fell in love with it straight away because it's um it's really inventive and it's really funny, but there's also, like, you become so attached to characters you weren't necessarily expecting to become attached to that yes. um, yeah. that you do become, like, genuinely invested in what's going to happen to them. And, yeah, Reading Ever After was a really bizarre a really bizarre thing because it suddenly made me realise that I'm like, I don't know how this ended. You don't, yeah, you don't know how you got to that point. Yeah, I don't know how this was set up and I don't know what's happened to all the other fables. <laughs> Because there are some fables in this, obviously, because it's a fables uh, story. Um, And basically the idea of it is, from what I can glean from just the first issue, uh, is that sort of like a a sort of task force has been set up of fables to sort of, you know, do almost Thunderbolt-style sort of missions that perhaps people shouldn't know about and it's oh, all right. it's all a bit espionage and a bit uh secret missiony but there's also obviously because it's fables like magic and crap happening it's very good mm-hmm. uh it's written by dave justice and matt sturgis and i i kind of love matthew sturgis uh he's a bit he's a bit great and um and a lovely chap too because he came on the 24-hour parlor and uh entertained my nonsense ramblings at like two in the morning or some shiz <laughs> actually it might have even been later than that but yeah i need i now need to find out where i got to with fables because i feel like i've possibly not read maybe the last three or four issues because i was getting in floppies and everything okay that's commitment yeah floppies well it was one of those stories that um because there are some things i don't mind waiting for trade for because i'm very forgetful and i can forget spoilers before i get the trade yeah like if somebody spoils something for me on the internet by the time i get round to it i'll have forgotten but fables was one of those stories that i was like no if i see if i see spoilers for that i'm gonna i'm gonna murder someone so so i always had to get that when it came out do you find it odd when because like obviously with fables it was sort of that whole it's got to be like 150, 100 and something issues. Yeah. Is is all all Bill Willingham? Is it weird seeing? Oh, is the story strange because it's being written by somebody else? Um, it doesn't feel strange to me, but I don't know whether that's because there was also another spin-off, and I can't remember what it was called. I know there was Jack oh, and Fables, the, and then there was, there was yeah, yeah, but then there was something else as well that was just focusing on um some of the Lady Fables. I forget. Oh. Okay. I completely forget what that's called. That probably didn't it... call it Lady Fables. No, probably not. <laughs> yeah, I can't... oh, that's going to bug me. I can't remember what that was called at all. Uh, but that had really gorgeous Adam Hughes covers that just made me fall in love with them. And that was towards the end of the main Fables run as well, I think. But yeah, I mean, this issue, it was really good, but it kept referring to the ever after ring, and I was like, well, I don't know what that is. Uh, so I'm definitely going to go, go back and read some more stuff. But I would I would definitely recommend it to like people that enjoyed Fables, mm. probably going to pick it up anyway. But it seems like a very cleverly written book. So yeah, I'm in it for the long haul for that. And um, the other thing I wanted to talk about was actually a telly show, because, you know, it's October, so we had to talk about spooky things. Okay. Goth Christmas is nearly upon us. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I always do. I always do Halloween wrong because um, I never dress up as anything scary because I think that's really boring. Um, so last year I was Daria, and this year I'm going to be Mabel from Gravity Falls. Nice. <laughs> I'm so twee. But the thing I wanted to talk about is a program called Channel Zero, which is something that came out of absolutely nowhere for me. It's a sci-fi made 
thing. And um, basically Rich said to me, do you fancy watching something that might be creepy? And I was like, go on then, it's October. And so basically Channel Zero is, uh, it's been commissioned for two seasons so far. Both both series are six episodes. The one is happening this October and second series is apparently going to be next October okay. because of, you know, the spookiness of the month. And this series is based on an incredibly short creepypasta called Candle Cove. I don't know if you've ever read it. I am not... I'm not very up on creepypastas in the sense that, and this is going to make me sound really stupid, I don't understand how the website works. I have, <laughs> I have tried to navigate myself around there to find stories, and nine times out of ten end up at the same story, and I don't fucking know how, and then I get cross and I leave. So I've read maybe ten creepypastas tops. It's weird to me that they chose this one because it's incredibly short. So the original Creepypasta is sort of set up like... For those that don't know what Creepypasta is, it's like a website where people make up spooky stories that that seem like they could potentially be based on real things. And this one is set up like a message board. And the first entry is somebody saying, oh, does anybody remember this weird kids show from like the 70s with like puppets and a boat? Uh, and then it's like a few answers, few replies from people, you know, oh yeah, I remember that, and there was these puppets, and they were weird, and blah blah blah. And it goes on and on until like sort of the twist at the end, as it were, is that the the program actually never existed, and all these kids were just watching static on TV, but somehow sort of mass hallucinating this show. Oh, okay. uh, this really resonates with me, not because I'm a crazy person who used to watch static, but because there is a children's TV show that I have vivid memories of watching. That scared the shit out of me when I was younger, and I cannot find hide nor hair of it anywhere anymore. And people think I imagined it. Do you know what it was called? No, this or... is the thing. I don't remember what it was called. All I know is it was on CITV, and it was it was set in the in the woods, and it was puppets, and it involved like a weird fox detective, and the theme tune was unnecessarily creepy. <laughs> I, that's all I remember about it, and nobody else has any clue. Like yeah, what the I'm, fuck I'm, I'm afraid I'm, about. I'm in. I'm in the group who you don't know what it is. I I do know exactly how you feel for 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 years and years and years. I believed I'd hallucinated the child's toy, Magical Murphy, which was a monkey, <laughs> and only my sister seemed to know about Magical Murphy and could remember the advert. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it was thankfully in the advent of the internet. Do you remember that thing that was um, AQA? You could you could text a question to to these guys and they would text you back the answer and i was able to prove the existence of magical murphy using aqa by saying like you know what was magical murphy and they text like oh yeah it was a toy in the 80s and and it really existed but for years and years and years there was some kind of conspiracy against me where everyone else would deny that magical murphy had ever existed it's very disconcerting when you think you've made up an entire part of your childhood (laughs) yeah yeah. Um, so this program is based on that creepypasta. It's going to be six episodes, oh. and Rich and I watched the first episode last week, and it is really good. It's sort of it's sort of based on the idea. It's expanding on the creepypasta, obviously, because it's a very very short story, and so it's about a guy whose brother went missing in like the eighties, uh, and a bunch of children went missing too. And he moved away from his hometown, became like a psychologist or something or other. But he goes back to his hometown because kids start disappearing again. And he thinks it has something to do with this TV show that he remembers called Candle Cove. Oh, okay. And it's incredibly weird. Um, <laughs> I don't know how much I want to say because there's a there's a particular thing in it that scared the absolute living daylights out of me. <laughs> but I... 
I don't want to ruin that for other people if they're going to watch it. No, I know. That's, that's the hard thing, isn't it, when you're describing stuff? Because you, you want to sort of say, oh, there's this bit. Yeah. But you can't say the bit. Yeah. It's, I, have, I haven't been scared by something on, on TV for, mm. for quite a long time until I watched the most, started watching the most recent season of, of American Horror Story. Have you watched any American Horror Story? I'm trying to. Like, Rich was never bothered with it. And I, I remember watching about the first four or five episodes of the first series. But... I fell off it because I felt like the first series, nothing was scarier than that cold open in the first episode. Yeah. Um, And it never hit those heights again. And I was like, ah, pff, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit more of a mystery, I guess, in certain bits. Mm. And it is, it is, it is good. It's really interesting because obviously what they do is as they do each season, they generally bring back the same cast, but they all take on different characters. Yeah. But as it's gotten on, I think this must be about season five or six it's on now, but you're beginning to get the idea that the, all the stories are actually interlinked. It's quite clever because it, it, it sort of picks up on. So they've done um, like the murder house was the first one. I think then it was an asylum. They've done a, a spooky freak show circus. Uh, what other ones have they done? And they, they some seasons are definitely better than others, but none of them I've ever found frightening. I found them interesting and kind of intriguing. Um, and the most recent one was in a hotel, which had Lady Gaga in it. Mm-hmm. But um, Dennis O'Hare plays a transvestite. But well, he runs the bar as a bar barmaid. I guess he is not. I don't think they have barmaids in the states. But and he's absolutely brilliant. His story is so good. His his whole story of him sort of being like being a travelling salesman and you know sort of finding his female persona and it's really well done and he's brilliant in it. And so you know, it's really worth watching for that. But the most recent one they're doing like spooky house out in the woods, hillbillies based around like the idea of Roanoke. Every single episode of this so far, I have sat in a ball in my chair. <laughs> I'm a big unit. It is not easy to fold me down. I have been folded up in a little tiny ball oh. with a blanket and a pillow. Absolutely. Just like, honestly, just the whole time I've been watching it with, with Emily. And I'm, I'm holding the pillow going, I don't like it, but I can't look away. I don't like it. I don't like it. Don't turn it off. I don't like it. I don't like it. There's a pig man. I think it's the pig man. Ooh. But I thought it was the pig man until like a crazy Japanese ghost came out, came out and she knocked the pig man into a cocked hat for weirdness. And it's, it is, I don't know what it is about it. Mm. I don't know what it, I genuinely don't know what it is about this story, but it is just all the way through. Like from the second it comes on and stuff starts happening, I was like, give, give me a pillow. Give me, give me a cushion. Give me a cushion. I, I don't like Somebody it. Somebody get me like, a no, cookie. Like, I, I was like reverting almost like a child in the first episode. Going, I was. I remember like not like rocking in my chair, but like holding myself. Going, I don't like it, Emily. I don't like it. What's happening? It's like this doesn't happen to me. You know, I I watch this stuff on you know on TV, and I I don't get scared by stuff. You mm-hmm. know, generally I can get you know, anything can make you jump, but I don't get like the wig. And this is properly giving me the wig this series oh, in a no. big way so yeah if anyone else is you know, I'd be intrigued to hear from anybody else who's watching this who has had an equally kind of like visceral terror reaction to the thing like I have because it has absolutely put the wiggins at me not not since like that weird ghost watch thing they did with Michael Parkinson and Craig Charles <laughs> was banned from television with, uh, have, I had some, <laughs> have I experienced such bedwetting terror levels as is induced not to uh to divert the conversation too much but i think one of my crowning twitter moments of glory was when uh we'd watch some of ghost watch with a friend of ours like on youtube and i managed to find a pipes twitter account and convince him to follow my friend oh, on twitter no, and it scared the no, shit out of me no, it's the best thing i've ever done it's oh, the best thing i've ever done I'm actually, hilarious do you know what? I'm, I'm starting to go into the ball now <laughs> 
it's do you know what it is it was that episode where he's hanging out by the curtains and you just now you see him and now you don't style uh, yeah. terrifying did you watch constantine when that was on when that was on yes yes i did, did have you the halloween one where he ends up in the fun house at the very beginning of that there's a shadow behind a curtain there's something very there's something very primal I think about shadows behind curtains. Mm. There's something really really frightening about just like silhouettes and the shape of it. I've actually had to move my chair now so I can see both the window and the door in this room because I'm giving myself the wig. There's it, something very primal about it, and there's a really there's a really good like one of those like fast cuts where the shadow is there and then it's gone and it's a kid and ghost you know ghost oh, kids. Ghost kids, they're just wrong. Yeah. They're just so wrong. Well, see, this is the thing that's freaking me out about Channel Zero is the fact that, like, because it's about kids, I'm very nervous that there's going to become ghost kids or monster kids at some stage. Yeah. Um, I'm going to tell you what the thing is that freaked me out, but I might I might edit it out of the episode. Got but it. it's it, towards the end of the episode, a monster made of children's teeth appears. He's made of children's teeth. Oh, and it's no. oh, <laughs> It's no. the absolute worst. I hate it. I hate it with a passion. But the other problem with that show for me is, and I've talked about this on previous episodes, I have um, a very weird reaction to puppets and marionettes and ventriloquist dummies and uh, sort of old style not very good quality claymation I am very very frightened of all of those things and Candle Cove in this show they show clips from the the actual kid show in it and okay. there's um, there's a pirate puppet on this boat that's is terrifying only because, and this is going to sound so completely innocuous, you're all going to laugh at me. But the the pirate puppet clearly has, like, it's obviously a very like budget children's show. Like the idea of it in in Channel Zero is that this kids show was like made in the seventies on like a shoestring kind of budget, and so this puppet is made up of like like old bits of old other dolls. So its head looks like a baby girl doll, but it's oh, but it's like a male pirate with a and I hate it I hate I've just, it so I've much just tweeted, I've just tweeted you something I think it's actually a spoof but it, it is one of the most terrifying bits of claymation you will ever oh, see oh no it's do just... I want to see it well you probably have seen it it's that one the way around the, the adventures of Mark Twain no where Mark Twain I'm scared now Ah, just looking at that clip, that fucking screenshot. I'll wait till later on when he's like crushing the tiny people and doing a whole diatribe about about religion. This will don't watch this on your own. If you don't like claymation and spooky stuff, this will this no, will. I'm not help. gonna I'm not gonna watch that now. I'll watch it like I'll, <laughs> middle of the day on Saturday. I'll watch it, you know, during the day. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's um. Did you see the thing with um? Oh, Colin Merlin, Merlin, Colin, who was Merlin in Merlin. <laughs> Colin Merlin, he was Merlin and Merlin. No. Colin Merlin, he was Merlin and Merlin. <laughs> did you see the the sort of ghost thing that he did, sort of set in sort of... It's sort of set, I guess, in in the black country. Oh, what's it called? I, I can't just Google Colin Merlin Merlin. What's his real name? <laughs> Colin... Oh, come on, Colin. I'll just Google Colin Merlin. Colin Morgan. His name is Colin Morgan. It sounds like... even sounds Very like close. <laughs> God's sake. Right. Where is he? What did he do? There he is. There's Colin Morgan. Now... He was in The Living and the Dead. That's what it's called. That's pretty good. Mm. That's pretty good. It's, it's all tied into sort of sort of British British folklore. Uh. The end, I can't... Again, you have to edit this out if people haven't seen it. But the ending is the most crazy ghost time travel mentalness. Oh, no. <laughs> you've ever seen. In a way, it's a bit like... It's a bit like Von Mars. It's like, is he dead or back in time? What the hell is going on? 
because they, they end up but they end up finding like a modern car buried in their field in like the 1800s and they just dig it up no one seems freaked out by it at all they're all pretty cool with it there's a really scary episode where they've got sort of um soldiers they might be Roman legionnaires but soldiers coming through the town ghost soldiers and they're stringing people up and it's, it's it didn't get renewed which i was amazed by because it, it it's really good and it's got a great kind of um nick drake inspired sort of theme sort of set of theme music and songs and it's really tied into that whole kind of uh, sort of very superstitious kind of like pastoral tradition from and yeah it's 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 really good and and really clever and i'm sort of amazed it didn't get didn't get renewed for a second season because he's really good in it as well colin morgan that's his name not colin burley merlin colin morgan (laughs) he's really good in it Mm. and um yeah there's one in there with kids kids in a mine creepy oh no see we're spook- you're spooking me out now so it's time to go let's yeah. they stand out in a field at one bit all in a line you can just see the shape of them it's bad. oh my god okay do you want to hear an embarrassing story about a thing that scared me more than any horror movie i've ever seen in my life god i, I will trade you with a with an equally embarrassing so i was trying to think of the last time i was folding up on a ball and i re i remember it very clearly now the last time i i did this so okay, this is no, this is um, uh, this is so embarrassing. I'm sure you you will all pee yourself laughing at me. But the, the, there was there used to be, uh, you know that like um, oh for fuck's sake, put your teeth in, Stace. Jeez, I'm tired. There used to be uh, sort of PSAs on British telly that were all like, hey, don't fucking mess around near pylons, or you might get electrocuted and whatnot. Oh uh, yeah, I remember the, one, the kid with the frisbee. Uh, well, the one PSA in particular that um, that got me was, did you ever see the one about playing on train tracks that was set around a kid's sports day? I, f- I feel I did because my my school, my junior <sighs> school, was right by train tracks, so I feel I must have seen this. Jesus H. Corbett. So basically, it's like a bunch of normal kids' sports day activities like beanbag races and, you know, egg and spoons and whatever. But they all take place with the added caveat of you're probably going to get hit by a train if you're not quick enough. <laughs> and it's so it's like a badly sort of filmed, I assume it's about 70s times type thing of just kids getting mutilated on train tracks trying to complete sports day activities. I have never had so many dead children-based nightmares in my entire life. Just thinking that's about it now is upsetting me. It's really, nobody, it, and it wasn't just sad. It wasn't just like, oh God, I'm never going to let my kids near train tracks. It was like nightmare inducing. <laughs> so that's... scary. I hated it. And there was that one about the dude in the lake as well, where it was all like, don't muck around near water or you might fall in and die. And then this big scary sort of like shadow thing comes out of the lake and is like, I am the thing of the lake and I will eat your face or whatever. You had, you had very different PSAs <laughs> around by you. We had uh, we had a squirrel who taught you how to cross the road. Oh, we had hedgehog at one oh, stage that sang a song about looking left and right and whatever and don't get... I think we had Tufty. I think he was a squirrel. <sighs> the only bit I remember about the Hedgehog song was there's a bit where he goes, use your head and then your feet. And he does that little song about stopping and think and you'll be king of the road. I remember king of the road. That's, <laughs> that is hedgehogs. Yeah, king adorable hedgehog. That's, yeah, that's more, that is more just sort of sort of creepy and terrifying than mine, which is, which is genuinely embarrassing. So I remember the last time I, I had to fold myself up into a, into a ball, which was, do you remember when sort of Japanese horrors were first sort of becoming kind of, kind of popular and they were a big fad for a little bit? Yeah. I, 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 I can't bring myself to say things like, do you remember when Japanese horror dropped? Because I, I, I don't <laughs> understand 
a lot of the way that verbs are used by by children nowadays. But if you remember when there was the fad or the trend even for for Japanese horror films, Stuart got a whole bunch of these, and he's like, "You've got to come around and see them. You've got to see them. Come around and, and we I mean, we watched back to back. We watched the Eye, the original version of the Eye, which oh, was pretty good, and then we watched the original Ring, which I don't know if you've seen the original Japanese version of the of the Ring. I have indeed. So, you know, there's that whole, like, plinky-plinky music as yes. you go going through. It's like, dang, 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 dang. Mm-hmm. So all the way through, both of us now, you know, sort of two, two grown men are, like, you know, got our cushions and we're getting more and more. I remember being in, in my ball, I'm in my safety ball watching this thing and literally just as it reaches its terrifying peak and Sadako's coming out of the television, Emily chose that exact moment to ring me and ask me what time I was coming home. <laughs> Honestly, Stuart says, I jumped, I jumped into Stuart's lap like a night, like a sort of carry-on, like a kind of carry-on lady who'd seen a mouse. I, I, was, I, was, I was heading for high ground, and the highest ground I could find was him. I was... Aww. Oh, honestly, I was, it was like, I remember, so I was like, get off. I, was like, ah! I mean, both of us jumped, but I completely, I lost what little cool I had, that thin <laughs> micron veneer of cool that I'd painted around myself was just dust on the floor. But yeah, never should have phoned. Yeah. Never was a, a, was it more important for a phone to be on silent than in that moment. Yeah. But yeah, oh my, oh God, but yeah, plinky plunky music. That's the word. I was gonna say the um, thinking of plinky plunky music, and once I've said this, I will actually like say goodbye and shut up because it's getting quite late. The there's a piece of music right at the beginning of the movie Candyman. I don't know if you remember it. I might stick it in the episode, uh, and it's just like a fairly innocuous bit of piano music that's in just the right key to be quite unsettling. <laughs> I, I just do not like it. <laughs> That's, yeah, that's it's weird. Really embarrassing. If you like, you should. And I, this will be my last, my last recommendation because yeah, I'm not the like, the king of the short answer or the the duke of stop talking. But <laughs> there's um, a brilliant. We went to the Hay Festival this year, and we saw a brilliant um, sort of cabaret act, a guy called Joe Black. Yeah, he's absolutely fantastic. His he he does. Um, you are my sunshine which he does in a slightly off-key, creepy way. But the lyrics are the normal lyrics. And do you know what? The lyrics to You Are My Sunshine are oh. freaking terrifying. Fucking stalker fuel. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. Google Rendous. him up. Joe Black, he's, he's got loads of his stuff up on, on Facebook. Uh, not Facebook. The other one, the Tube. YouTube. He's got loads of stuff on there. He is brilliant. If you get a chance to see him, he's absolutely brilliant mm-hmm. live. It's a really like small little little set in like a tent, basically. And uh, yeah, he was he was absolutely brilliant. But yeah, find him singing You Are My Sunshine. That'll, that'll, that's creepy. <laughs> On that creepy note, <laughs> uh, where can the people of the internet world find you uh, and your wares? Oh, good. The, probably the best place is I, I decided to like, split up my, my film and my comics and my other stuff is on the, the Black Room website, which is theblackroom.co.uk, which is, which is awash with interesting stuff about the movie and what we're doing on there so yeah that's the best one please thank you jolly good and if people want to get in touch with me the best spot is probably twitter i am stacy's parlor stacy with an e parlor with you and uh what else was i going to say something about a charity i've got the final total in for the 24 hour 
podcast because the page, the Just Giving page closed a couple of weekends ago. And I, I just want to say thank you to everybody because in total, with the online donations, the gift aid supplements and Mike's art auctions, we raised £1,570. Wow, that's fantastic. <laughs> Which is absolutely amazing and uh, and kind of overwhelming, actually. So I don't think I'm ever going to do it again now because if I don't raise that much, I might cry. <laughs> <laughs> you, you feel you peaked. Yeah, that's it, giving it while I'm on a high. But on top of that, last weekend, my friends over at the We Have Issues podcast did a 24-hour Twitter comic where a friend of the show, David Wynn, drew a com- a 24-page comic over 24 hours based on suggestions from Twitter. And if you donate at justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash WHI, you're, not only will you be giving lots of money to Mind, which is a very worthy mental health charity, uh, you will also get a copy, a PDF copy of that 24-hour comic, which is called Astro Vikings and is about space Vikings having a fight and there's a thaw and all sorts it's very good it's very good and there were live podcasts happening as well and i was on one of those so i'm sure that'll come out by the time i've edited this episode down into a sensible length <laughs> so on that note thank you chris for no, coming. Thank you very much. hey it's been lovely it's been ridiculous that we haven't spoken in like years so let's not do that again let's i know i do manage to like you know get out enough words to probably you know <laughs> yeah we've made up for it now i'll talk to you again in another two years <laughs> Awesome. I'll, I'll, I'll try and have like caught up on stuff. I'll be honest. Like, have you seen that? Those guys, Laurel and Hardy. There, there. <laughs> Toe's got. Watch out for those guys because they're going to be huge. Making a splash. <laughs> yeah, they'll be they'll be blowing up all over Twitter. That's... I think that's is that a thing? Is I think you... I think that's how you use that. Do people yeah. still blow up. Yeah, I think so. They, Maybe. When they drop. Yeah. <laughs> on that note, bye everyone. Bye.
Chop, 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 chop,